Now, there's one thing you might have noticed I don't complain about. Politicians. Everybody complains about politicians. Everybody says they suck. Well, where do people think these politicians come from? They don't fall out of the sky. They don't pass through a membrane from another reality. They come from American parents and American families, American homes, American schools, American churches, American businesses, and American universities, and they're elected by American citizens. This is the best we can do, folks. This is what we have to offer. It's what our system produces. Garbage in, garbage out. If you have selfish, ignorant citizens, if you have selfish, ignorant citizens, you're going to get selfish, ignorant leaders. And term limits ain't going to be any good. You're just going to wind up with a brand new bunch of selfish, ignorant Americans. So maybe, maybe, maybe it's not the politicians who suck. Maybe something else sucks around here. Like the public. Yeah, the public sucks. There's a nice campaign slogan for somebody. The public sucks. Hope. Hope. Because if it's really just the fault of these politicians, then where are all the other bright people of conscience? Where are all the bright, honest, intelligent Americans ready to step in and save the nation and lead the way? We don't have people like that in this country. Everybody's at the mall, scratching his ass, picking his nose, taking his credit card out of his fanny pack and buying a pair of sneakers with lights in them. So I have solved this little political dilemma for myself in a very simple way. On election day, I stay home. I don't vote. I don't vote. Two reasons. Two reasons I don't vote. First of all, it's meaningless. This country was bought and sold and paid for a long time ago. The sh they shuffle around every four years. <laughs> Doesn't mean a thing. And secondly, I don't vote because I believe if you vote, you have no right to complain. Six minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11, and this is the month of October. In the year of our Lord, 2008, thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed and hate-filled studios of AM 970, The Talker. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into amusement. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. If you'd like to uh, join us today with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, kvetches, recipes, ruminations, limericks, ponderings, musings upon the leisure time activities of a man who might hail from a town called Nantucket. It's 503-733-2970. You know, probably somewhere in this world there is a guy. Well, Nantucket's a real place, right, Tim? Yes, it is. It's not a made-up place like the Land of Nod. No. Or uh, Delaware. No, there's a, there probably is a man from Nantucket. This is the worst radio bit in the history of the world, so I'm not even going to do it. We're not even going to do it as a gag on how bad radio is. I'm not even going to do this as an ironic sort of goof. I'm going to pass this along to some other uh, uh, some other radio program. Program! Program! Uh, that wants to do this? You just call a man from Nantucket. Just ask, you know. They're like, how's it going? 
The end. It's 503-733-2970 if you'd like to join us today. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane. If you'd like to talk to us about the thousands upon thousands of periodicals you read every day to stay abreast of current events. Jesus. Uh, you can also email us if you like. It's uh, rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Tim at 970.am. Sarah with an H at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. Uh, we don't have any instant messaging here. We don't have, we have uh, the MySpace. We don't have any instant We don't have a Twitter. I really thought about doing a Twitter thing for tomorrow, just for the VP debate tomorrow night. Uh, we're going to be presenting uh, what we are, I believe we're calling it the VP. I was thinking cage match, SummerSlam. I think we just went with SmackDown. So that's tomorrow night. Can you do that same thing, how um, the instant messaging that Troy set up for us? Like, could you have that, but then put out the URL so that people could watch you live, like, taking notes? Uh, so here's what Sarah's talking about. So tomorrow we're going to be doing the vice presidential debate. We'll ha carry that live tomorrow, 6 p.m. right here, uh, along with running commentary during the debate uh, with myself, news director Tim Riley, and the iconic Storm Large. I mean, other, other radio stations, you know, we're going to wait until the debate's over, then we'll get your thoughts. Not here. No time. No time. Really, it was 90 minutes. You'd be sitting around waiting for the thing to be over so you can hear what some jackass thinks about it. We are jackasses who will tell you as it's happening what we think about it. And it spares you all the, the, you know, the trouble of having to think for yourself. We're the best kind of jackasses. That's what I'm saying, Tim. So, uh, you know, you don't have to wait till afterward and then try to form your own so-called opinions. We'll just tell you what to think about it. The brainwashing begins tomorrow at 6, concurrent with the debate itself. So, uh, in any event... Uh, so that is tomorrow, 6 o'clock, Storm Large, Tim Riley, myself, running commentary during the debate. And then I, I'm i unclear now. I think there's a schedule change. It may not be Jim Roop. I think it might be Lisa. Uh, but CNN Radio doing the wraparound, as they say, too. <clears throat> not to be confused with doing the mess around. Uh, so that is tomorrow. And then I thought about setting up some, you know, like a Twitter account, which is basically a thing so you can annoy your friends and loved ones with your you know, observations about what kind of socks you're going to put on that day. I thought about setting that up just so we could give out kind of bulletins. What Sarah's referring to is that there is an internal instant messaging system here. But I do believe it's only internal, and I think once we give out the URL, you can't change it. And so then, like, no offense, every jackass with a computer would then be able to message everybody at CBS, like, every time he wanted to talk about toast. Oh, okay. So that's not going to work. Uh, I may look into something else, though, because we're going to be doing running commentary on the air during the debate. But I would like to be able to do some sort of... Uh, you know, like updating a blog or doing some sort of a, a live chat. You know, chat's the wrong word. But just kind of giving our thoughts as it unfolds. So we're going to look into that. No uh, yeah, no, no, no decision on that yet. We're going to look into it, though. So that's tomorrow night. Uh, all right. Uh, coming up later on today, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum will join us from New York City. We'll also talk to CNN Radio correspondent Bob Costantini, who's going to talk about... And then all the same crap we've been talking about for like the last week. Uh, but we're also going to talk about it in the context of tomorrow night's debate, how it bodes for Joe Biden and Senator Palin and... Wait. Let me back up there. How, how it bodes for Senator uh, Biden, Sarah Palin, uh, Obama, McCain, uh, all of that stuff. And plus, we just like to talk to Bob Costantini to see if we can sort of, you know, make him awkward and uncomfortable. Uh, today's top five. Uh, Court from Rock 101 KUFO will be in today to share his top five teenage moping songs. Tomorrow, Big Jim will do that. And then on Friday, on Friday it was going to be Andy the homeschool kid, but then I realized I already told Richie he could do it. But I think we're going to have it be Andy anyway, and then Richie can do his on Monday. Uh, so Andy the homeschool kid joining us in studio on Friday with his top five. Tomorrow, Big Jim. Today, though, it is Court, who is the court half of Court and Fat Boy and Rock 101 uh, KUFO. 
Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com joining us today to talk about all that is world, uh, good in the world of nudity. And sorry, I'm just getting a, I'm getting bless you, I'm getting a thing here about Twitter. No, I have to read that later. Uh, so we'll talk to Mr. Skin today from MrSkin.com about all that is happening in the world of breasts, bosoms, uh, nanas, hey hey's, wahs, whatever. Uh, we will also uh, talk to Al Petrelli, who is the guitar player for. I cannot talk today. I was talking really well until about five minutes ago. You know what this happened? You know when this happened? This happened when I started. This happened when I started making fun of Sarah Palin uh, reading everything. You know, there's the universe decided to smite me, and he gave, the universe gave me some sort of quasi aphasia here for just about six minutes. All right, hold on, I'm going to center myself. All right, here we go. Later on today, we'll talk to Al Petrelli, who is the guitar player for the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. You know them because it's like the heavy metal classical Christmas music that starts to, you know, fills the airwaves starting around November every year. They're going to be in town. They're going to be doing two shows here in Portland. He also played with Alice Cooper, Megadeth, uh, Widowmaker, Blue Oyster Cult, a whole bunch of bands. So we'll talk to Trans-Siberian Orchestra guitar player Al Petrelli today. Uh, we will be discussing breakfast cereal for no readily apparent reason. Uh, your phone calls and one random on-air caller today wins a copy of Sports Nights. The entire series on DVD, the 10th anniversary of the complete series out on DVD, eight set, uh, eight DVD set, Sports Night, uh, the first creation for television by Aaron Sorkin. So are we really going to be discussing cereal? Yes, we are. I had a long discussion about cereal already today. Me too. It's well, breakfast cereal. It was yesterday. What? I, was there just Chris Paddock? Yes. See, I was just talking to Chris Paddock about cereal. I, I was just cereal. talking to Chris Paddock. Why does he talk about cereal all the You time? like cereal. I like cereal. Uh, so that's what's coming up today. Steve Kassenbaum, uh, Bob Costantini, the top five, Mr. Skin, Al Petrelli, Court from Rock 101, KUFO with the top five, breakfast cereal discussion, and a, a copy of Sports Night, the entire series on DVD. To one random on-air caller today, your call is taken, of course, at 503-733-2970. See, there you go. See, now the speech ability has returned. And like that, it's back. Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification today. PGE has been ordered to return over $33 million to customers. Politicians will vote again today at some point on a sweetened bailout. I'm rooting right now for it to fail. A North Portland man was stabbed in the neck this morning. Four George Marsh University students admit to hanging an Obama effigy. A woman in a cow suit is arrested for chasing children and urinating on a porch. The Pentagon will phase out the Humvee. We'll find out what Sarah Palin reads. A woman bids $1.75 on eBay for an abandoned house and wins. I couldn't tell from your inflection whether there was one more sort of slug happening at the end there. No, that's the end. All right, there you go. Uh, we're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon. Hello, how are you? Hello, I'm doing well. My allergies all of a sudden just kicked in. Uh-oh. My fall allergies. I'm going to go hit up your Claritin. Yeah, it's sitting right there on the desk. Right. Yeah. Let, me know, sure. let me know, by the way, if that Claritin's running low, because it's sort of that thing. It's like the Viso in the studio. The word got out that there's Claritin on my desk. And you know when the cat's away, the mice take your Claritin. So I go up there every now and again, and it's like I notice the bottle decreases, you know, steadily. So let me know if I, uh, if I need to re-up on that. That people, you know, people are in your office. Rummaging around in my possessions, Even trying on my underwear. have no respect. That's right, Tim. All right. How are you, Sarah Dillon? I'm doing very well. I'm very excited for tomorrow, especially after hearing the clips from yesterday. So we might as well just uh, jump head and shoulders into this. So i got to really m- sort of modulate my own excitement today so that I don't just ratchet myself into some sort of a froth about the VP debate. Because I've started to do this real terrible thing, which, I mean, it just uh, I'm zen with my own addiction in this way. 
you know, even up to a couple weeks ago, it's like I would sort of go home and, you know, maybe, maybe watch your Family Guy or, you you know, you catch up on, uh, you know, you, maybe you rewatch Mad Men if it was a particularly scintillating episode as it was this last Sunday. Yes, it was. Yeah. It was outstanding. Or maybe you watch Battlestar Galactica in anticipation of, uh, you know, the, the, the second half of the final season, which is going to be coming up, uh, I think, in January. The last two weeks, I haven't done any of that. I mean, I think it might even stretch past that. I think actually since the Republican convention, every night I just go home and I got like three, three and a half, four hours of CNN. And I just I just settle into it like it's some sort of visual quilt. Just wrap it around me and I wallow in it. Uh, and it just, it, it is simultaneously the best and worst way to spend your evening. Because on the one hand, it is just like endless sports center style coverage of an upcoming Super Bowl that's you know hotly contested and where there's really no clear consensus on who the winner's going to be. On the other hand, you've got something like today where we've got a full, let's see, we're going to do it 30 hours or something until the vice presidential debate happens for, And I already want it just to be happening now. I mean, I already want the vice presidential debate to be five minutes away so we can just settle in and watch it. So I'm really having to kind of keep myself under control so I don't just turn myself into some sort of giggling schoolchild uh, about this uh, Palin-Biden face-off. But I have to tell you, we'll talk a little bit about her Katie Couric thing in just a moment because I saw some of it last night. And the word is, the word on the street is that CBS actually has some footage that they haven't shown that's even worse. So I got this right here. This is from, uh, wait, no, that's about the Partridge family. Wait, hold on. Here we go. That Partridge family thing is rather amusing. The Partridge family thing is just puzzling. There's really no explanation for it. Uh, let me, this is from, uh, this is from, uh, I think Politico.com, maybe. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't print out where this is from. So my apologies to whoever wrote this. Uh, it says, uh, and this, by the way, is, is this is their copy, not mine. I'm simply reading this off the page. It says, looks like the ongoing horror movie series known as the Katie Couric Sarah Palin interviews may be about to offer up another grisly installment, except they say grisly, which I guess may be accurate if you feel like Sarah Palin has got some sort of chewy, stringy quality to her. The other day, Politico's Jonathan Martin quoted, here we go, an anonymous Palin aide who was worried about still undisclosed interview footage in which Palin noted that Roe versus Wade uh, noted Roe v. Wade, but was unable to reference or discuss any other major court case. Now here's the money line: there was no verbal fumbling with this particular uh, particular question. There was just a long period of silence. So that's an anonymous uh, account. CBS News has refused to publicly confirm it. But a few moments ago, this was from this morning, CBS News released the text of a few questions, but not the answers that Palin has been asked on interview footage that will air tonight. And sure enough, one of the questions Sarah Palin will be asked tonight on CBS is, why do you think Roe v. Wade is a good or bad decision, and what other Supreme Court decisions do you disagree with? And so the, the word on the street is that they ask her this question, and it's just like a long sort of... as tumbleweeds kind of blow through her brain, and then there's no actual answer given. So, I'm not going to set my hopes on that being true, but... Well, I'm going to have to watch CBS News tonight. What channel is that? Six, I believe, isn't it? Yes, that's right, Tim. All right. So, all right. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Where are your, uh, where are your friends going to be tomorrow night? Is it going to be some sort of vice presidential party, the drinking know. game? I don't know. I don't know, because I watched it over at my friend Tucky's house uh, last week, and he has like a big high-definition TV, but he's out on the tugboat. This I want to see what she looks like in HD. You should let me know. 
Trying yeah, to find somebody with HD to watch, sir, because this isn't, uh, this isn't, a, I don't think we have HD here. Mm. Uh, you should watch it on a television that gives you just the highest possible clarity so we can see what she really looks like. Maybe. I don't know who else I know has, that has a high-definition television. Oh, I'll figure it out. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going to watch it, but I am going to watch it. Yeah. What time does it start? It is at 6 o'clock. Okay. 6 to 7.30, approximately. Uh, so, all right. Uh, where are you going to watch it? Are you going to go out? Well, we're going to be here. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're going to be here doing the commentary tomorrow. Tim Riley, Storm Large, myself, running commentary tomorrow night during the vice presidential debate. Uh, we'll get some notes uh, from last night's television watching. And by the way, I hate to say this. It pains me to say this just as much as it pains you to hear it. I really got to say that I, for S.H.I.E.L.D. fans in the house, I'm just not feeling this season. I'm really not. I just... I just don't care. I, I mean, it's a great show. Don't get me wrong. I would never write The Shield off. It's a wonderful program. It really is one of the best shows, uh, it, it, certainly of the last decade. Probably one of the ten best cop shows ever made. Probably one of the 50 best series ever made in a period. And probably not in the top ten or anything. But of all TV series that have ever aired, I'm saying for me, in my world, probably one of the top 50. But boy, this season is just, it's just uninteresting to me. Because, and I'm not going to belabor the point, because there's a lot of people out there who don't watch The Shield, but there's a lot of guys who do, and we followed it through ups and downs and trials and travails and the, the death of Curtis Lemansky and uh, John Kavanaugh coming and going on that show, and all the while watching this sort of sad, terrible, poignant, twisted saga of Vic Mackey, which resolves this season. I mean, like, this is it. This is the final act of The Shield. And then there's no more. It's gone. And I just doing this whole thing of like the Mexican gang versus the Armenian gang and this blackmail box and this Pizuela guy and David Acevedo and I just don't care because all I really want to see resolved is the story of Vic Mackey and Shane and Ronnie and Terry who was this cop that Vic Mackey killed in the first episode of the first season which is really the thing that ought to be his undoing not to mention that whole weird twisted effed up family of his and they're spending all this time on a box full of photos that are used to blackmail politicians that I don't care about and who in the grand scheme of the shield just make no difference. So, I mean, we're what, like five? I don't even know how many episodes in we are. I think we're five episodes into this final season. I mean, I have faith in Sean Ryan, who's the creator and showrunner for the shield, but I, he's got to really step it up if he wants this season not to be a collapse. I mean, I will say this. Even if this season is a total washout, even if this season of the shield ends up bombing and being an absolute letdown, it's still not going to be enough to ruin the series, sort of Sopranos style, because the Sopranos had a long, slow decline into mediocrity, in my opinion. Everybody talks about that last episode of the Sopranos, and that was terrible, no getting around that. But the last, like, I would say two and a half seasons of the Sopranos were just not good anyway. And Sopranos kind of entered Simpsons territory, which lost its punch like an aging boxer. It's not that way with The Shield. The Shield has been strong every season, and in fact, for a long time, every season was better than the season that preceded it. This season has just, uh, it just feels like a, like, a, like, a, like a can of soda that's been left open at room temperature for about five hours, and all the fizz and flavor has kind of dissipated out of it. So, it's not like it's going to be enough to ruin the series, but really, I was hoping that they would just end everything with a good, solid haymaker. And it does not appear to be happening. I, it, it, they better start bringing all of these disparate story threads together, or it's going to end on a real anticlimactic note. And I, uh, I don't wish for that to be the case. Uh, let's see. Oh, but we should go back to Mad Men. I know it's Wednesday. Mad Men on Sunday was great, though. It was great. It was excellent. Everybody on that show, I'm amazed that somebody like the New York Times or the New Yorker or one of those thinking magazines, part of Sarah Palin's daily reading regimen, no doubt, I'm surprised that somebody hasn't done a sort of psychoanalysis session of all the characters on Mad Men. You know what I mean? Don Draper on the couch. Or what's her name? Peggy What's-Her-Guts on the couch. Or that Pete Campbell guy who's all kinds of sleazy. Or Roger Sterling who's dumping his wife for that, uh, yeah, that, that slut secretary. So 
it seems surprising to me that somebody hasn't done a psychiatric analysis of the characters on Mad Men, who I would say, I mean, I don't think it's going on a limb here to say that they are the most messed up characters on television right now. And, don't, and this, comes, this comes from a man who watches a serial killer who is the hero of a television program. But the characters on Mad Men are probably the most troubled and psychologically disturbed characters on television now, maybe of the last five or six years. I mean, maybe you'd have to go back to the early seasons of The Sopranos to really find characters that were this desperately in need of some sort of serious mental intervention. So, all right. Thoughts, Tim Riley? No, it's mesmerizing as usual. It is. I mean, we could spend hours talking about it, but we don't have time. All right, so here's the thing. I'm giving it to the end of the day. If by the end of the day there isn't an article that has appeared somewhere where somebody's got the cast of Mad Men on the couch for some kind of armchair psychiatric session, we're just going to start doing it here. We're going to find a shrink. The shrink's going to come in, and once a week, he's going to analyze a television character for us. That's it. I'm calling it out right now. So that, I'm sick of that idea not being done. So, like all good ideas, we here on The Rick Emerson Show, we must just do this ourselves, because no one else seems to be picking up the creative slack. So if by the end of the day that article isn't online somewhere, we, The Rick Emerson Show, will do it. We will pick up the creative baton, and we will serve you, the people, because nobody else seems interested in doing so. Take uh, some phone calls, then we will break. We'll come back. Steve Kastenbaum, Bob Costantini, uh, etc. Hello there, first caller of the day, setting the tone for all that follows. Don't suck, or you will regret it to the end of your days. Good. I'd just like to suggest to all future callers that they not start with the, hi, right, is this me? But anyway, um, Sarah Palin last night. Yeah. Uh, it seemed as though, I mean, first of all, what she actually said is that she reads them all. all she of reads them. all newspapers. And all magazines. Everything. Because that was the question that Katie Couric posed. Not once, not twice, but thrice. Yeah. And it seems like the third time that Katie Couric said, well, specifically, can you name one? Seems like if she knew of a newspaper outside of Alaska, she could have just popped one uh, the Times, the Tribune, and New U.S. News and World Report. I mean, just throw one out there, right? Well, what do you think you have? Well, and let me say this. Since Sarah Palin is, she's so relentlessly being marketed to sort of the great unwashed middle section of this country. And by the way, I saw an interview with Sarah Palin this morning where, let me interrupt myself, and then I'll get back to your point. Lest anybody think that we are singling out Sarah Palin because we have some sort of partisan axe to grind, I can't speak for Tim or Sarah. I certainly don't. I don't care. F them all. But Sarah Palin really is the most rich with comedic potential. There's just more to make fun of regarding Sarah Palin than anybody else and all the other candidates put together. And if you really search your feelings, you will know that to be true. There's no getting around it. I mean, she is the very definition of grist for the comedic mill. She just is. So I'm seeing this interview with her this morning where she, I swear to God, in the space of 30 seconds, four times she identified herself as speaking for, quote, It's time that normal Joe Sixpack America is finally represented in the position of vice presidency. Because that's really one of how you want to, you know, you want to position yourself as, as the spokesperson for an alcoholic. And an alcoholic voter, no she less. Joe Sixpack? She's speaking it, for Joe Sixpack. She's Jane Sixpack. Then she continues, oh. it's time to put government back on the side of the people of Joe Sixpack like me. <laughs> you know, it seems like we could just coin the phrase moose in the headlights, because yeah. that's what I see <laughs> in her when, when she's in these current interviews, as you pointed out. They're not hardball interviews. It's she's Katie just tossing Couric. soft questions, yeah. man. And uh, oftentimes, Palin's response is just to kind of stare for a second or two or guffaw. Yeah. And like I say, Matt, I mean, if you know the newspaper outside of Alaska, the third time you're asked on a nationally televised interview, just say one. Just the New York Times and the Washington Post. Move to the next question. Well, and here's the other thing, is if she truly is going to market herself, and it is very telling about Sarah Palin's unique 
syntactical style, that in the space of two sentences she went from speaking for Joe Spick, Sixpack to actually to being Joe Sixpack. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I would like right now to trademark the phrase Jane Sixpack for her. Well, you should be trademarking Moose in the headlights, but my one final point is this. If she's really going to be talking for Joe Sixpack, say USA Today, for the love of God. I mean, right, that's, what, that's what a pollster would tell you to say. What newspaper? Do you, I read USA Today, the purple section only, Katie. But, so. man, the fact that she didn't name one when she was thrice asked for yeah. specifics, I mean, the only explanation is she doesn't know of one. No. She's, like, never heard of the New York Times. I got two last quick points. Uh, I would say that, please, don't everyone get their hopes up too much for a slaughter tomorrow night. Remember, I mean, Dan Quayle got beaten to heck by Lloyd Benston uh, in, back in 88, but uh, they still quail and book still won true. the election. And then the second point, I don't have an HDTV but I'd give three words on a guess on what Sarah Palin looks like in HD. Too much rouge. Right. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. That's what I noticed. Um, that's what was most distracting from that Katie Couric interview because it was just her side profile. Very heavily she made up. Red stripe like underneath her cheekbones. Where here. It's like she's trying to like angle it too much. Not so much here or here. Just but right here. here. Yeah, it's like this like war paint smear <laughs> on the side of her face. Here's the other I'm like, thing. Come on, lady, get, get your makeup together. Like I'm no uh, I'm no uh, Luann Hill or nothing, but it also does seem that she has what in high school we used to refer to as the line. Where the makeup stops at her jaw. Mm. You know what I mean? And a lot of girls do that, especially in high school, or especially if you've been home at lunch and you're well, making you out. You how to match your foundation to your skin. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Or, you know, but you're out in the parking lot, like getting it on with some, you know, with, with, the, with the local weed dealer, and then you get to try to apply your makeup before you get back to fifth period. And so you just put the makeup on, but then when you hit the, the jawline, you're like, good enough! And so your neck is one, like, the skin on your neck appears to have come from a different donor as the skin on your face. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey there. Hey. Hey, um, you got to get that drinking game sounder for tomorrow night. What do you mean? Oh, in other words, to play during the debate. During the debate. That's a really good idea. So we, the, uh, so we do the drink. Or so we do the drinking game rules tomorrow during the show, and then tomorrow night during the debate, every time we hit one of those, we ring like a little bell or something. Exactly. That's a good idea. All right, hold on. Drinking game and bell. Well done, sir. Yep. All right, thank you, my friend. Thanks, Mark. All right, there you go. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm adorable. How are you? I'm fabulous. Okay. Um, two things. One, the other day when you were talking about watch out for snakes. Yeah. Could it be that like a cameraman was telling the actors, watch out for snakes, and that had nothing to do with the movie? In the movie Ego, that's possible because none of the characters on screen are speaking, none of their mouths are moving, and it doesn't. the voice doesn't match any of the characters, even in like an ADR, like in an overdubbing sense. So it is possible that a guy off camera or perhaps the guys you said running the camera holding the boom or whatever just went what's up for snakes and that they just either didn't notice it or decided it added sort of a surrealist air to the whole thing and they left it in that's a good observation i'm going to spread that rumor okay and then the other thing i'm i loaned you the dead moon and napalm beach vinyl album yes and the dvd i just want to know when i can come down and pick uh they are at my home i can bring them in later this week sir okay i'll just uh get a hold of dave then oh uh, uh, and sarah yes yeah, in your face, Sarah. <laughs> All right. You showed me. Final thoughts before we break here? So a new nationwide poll says Sarah Palin may be hurting John McCain instead of helping no. him. No. 51% of those surveyed now say Palin is not qualified to be president if that should become necessary. Moreover, her unfavorable rating is up 8 percentage points over the past two weeks as she became more accessible and gave her first media interview. Let me just say this. So the more people see her, the more they dislike her. Yes. 
That's just crazy talk. All right. Well. All the more reason not to allow any more interviews. <laughs> That's right, Tim. And Joe Biden's being smart it down right, right now. He's just kind of out of the spotlight. Where is he? No, he could kill somebody and not get any press coverage. No, it's true. Well, you know, because let's let's be fair about this. Now we do have to break. Joe Joe Biden certainly made his share of mistakes. Oh yeah, he, he said that thing about every day. He said that thing about FDR going on television and getting a fireside chat when I'm not sure that television actually existed at that point. So you know, uh, but, but really, you know, just some. Just some sort of lame, dull guy named Joe is never going to... I mean, unless he's Joe Lieberman, never going to be as interesting as Sarah Palin. That's no. a fact. So, uh, I will say, my final thought about last night watching Katie Couric, and to, for now, we'll talk more about it later. I got... Listen to this. That's a whole ream of notes right there. A ream of notes. Is that I do feel really torn when watching things like last night's Sarah Palin interview. Because on the one hand, it just hurts my brain. As I can feel the folds being removed from my frontal lobe every time she says that she, quote, reads everything. Um, but on the other hand, you know, as somebody who is a professional entertainer, somebody who is in some ways a professional, I'm not a comedian, but we, we are fundamentally comic on this show. So as somebody who uses comedy for a living, boy, it'd be nice to have her in office. I mean, really. Stop saying that because you said that last time with George W. Bush and look at how crappy the past Look at the material he gave but us. he gave us nothing. He gave us nothing. What did he give us? He gave us a couple Bush watches. That's it. I want her to go away and... Wash your back. mouth out. George W. Bush gave and gave and gave. No president has given more to the cause of comedy than George W. Bush. We had? We've had like four in the past year. How often? What does a man have to produce pet sounds every single year? Can a man give us three or four or seven years saying, of comedy and then retire? You stop putting that out there, because last time you did it, you like, I want Bush. I can't picture a John Kerry sounder. I love my Bush sounder. You are ungrateful for the material given to you by a president over the last eight years, Sarah Dillon, and yeah, I, I won't have it. Bush. I mean, look at the toll that the presidency has taken on. He looks like Betty White now. That's what I'm saying, and that's the other thing. It's like, how, how funny could George W. Bush really be in the last year? He looks all used up. He looks yeah. like a dried-out rag. Mm -hmm. All right. On that note, we'll break. We'll come back after this with Steve Castamon. Stay there. See why I don't want to talk about it on the air? So it makes me look like a jerk. It totally does. I'll talk about it. Okay. 503 733 503-733-2970. FYI, uh, I went through and I adjusted some of our new uh, music beds so they should no longer be deafening. <laughs> I spent like uh, 15 minutes last night going through and uh, normalizing the volume on all of our beds. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from New York City. Now, let me ask you this, Steve Kastam. I'm as a resident of New York. Do you feel like you should go see Old York at some point just to get, like, a good sense of yin and yang? You know, I often wondered as a kid where Old York was. So I guess I guess I did have that hankering. Now, is that a thing you're going to do? Probably never. See, but, I, but you could um, totally pitch that as some sort of a either a piece to CNN or maybe a piece to, uh, you know, the New Yorker, some sort of New York publication. A New Yorker goes to Old York. Yeah, you know that I, I bet you like somebody in the fifties did like a twenty-page piece in the New Yorker on that. Yeah, but who remembers the fifties? I mean, yeah. come on, I can't even remember what we talked about yesterday. <laughs> so it seems like it, that could be a thing that you could then pitch it because it, it, because it's not just the name, as I understand it. Many of the first sort of metropolitan cities here in the states in the colonies. 
were sort of modeled on European cities, sometimes in terms of their structure, in terms of their general layout, their architecture. So you could go and see if that's actually true. Is there anything in old York or the original York or the new original York or whatever they call it that bears any uh, resemblance to New York? I'm going to venture to guess no, because New York reinvents itself every 50 years. They say, they say if you take somebody from 50 years ago and plot them down in the middle of New York, they wouldn't recognize the place today. All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, so I don't even I don't even know where to begin with this. So you uh, now tomorrow for the vice presidential debate. Now I'm so unclear about the scheduling. So you did last week's, but you are not doing tomorrow's, are you? Uh, I, I'm. You know what? I have to double check. <laughs> uh, because I, I thought it was Roop at one point, but then I heard it might be Lisa, and then maybe somebody else, and Lisa, and then it seems like I heard your name at some point. So uh, to be honest, we're going to be carrying it, but I, I'm not even really sure if you're if, who's going to be on it. Well, I, last the last debate I did the the post debate anchoring. All right. Okay. So I, I wasn't on scene. In fact, I won't be on scene until uh, the candidates come to New York. They're going to be debating at Hofstra University. That's on, right. On October 15th uh, okay. in, in the good old suburbs of Long Island. All right. And we will be carrying that debate, actually. So we look forward to hearing your mellifluous tones on that day. Thank you. Uh, okay. So uh, where are we just in terms of uh, finances today? Where are we in terms of finances? It's hard to say. I mean, you know, Wall Street today, the Dow Jones uh, Industrial Average was down nearly 200 points for a while. And now it's made up all of the losses. We got, we've got the, you know, the, the guys who like to go bottom fishing uh, for uh, bargains were out there again today. So now the Dow is down uh, minus three points. So really no change at all, more or less. So uh, everybody's just waiting to see what happens in Washington, D.C. But, you know, I was talking to some real estate guys here in New York, speaking mm-hmm. of New York. You know how New York uh, has been immune to the entire real estate crisis around the rest of the country because the real estate market here is so hot? Right. That has finally come to an end. The bubble has burst. And because all these guys on Wall Street are getting laid off because the banks are going under and they're being bought up by other banks, all these guys who would normally get huge bonuses at the end of the year are not. And as a result, you know, the high-end uh, condo market is going to tank uh, this year because most of those guys, they take that money and they invest it in real estate. They buy a new home. They buy a new apartment, you know. And so uh, they're, they're saying the bubble has burst here and that uh, large-scale projects may be put on hold for a little while. So, so you know things are bad. Well, because right. we've talked about this before, that real estate in New York is really more valuable than, like, titanium. Uh, yeah. So that is uh, – so see, at, at long last, the trickle-down does reach every sector of our great land, including the previously insulated uh, city of New York. So Yeah, because the only way you can build in New York is up. Right. Everything's right. been built on. Somebody – okay, here's the thing. You know, somebody needs to build one of those full-on Jetsons places. Uh, you know what I mean? Where it's like five billion stories high, and then you have to get to it with some sort of a car that floats through the air and then a people mover. We're getting close to that. You know, I walk around some parts of the city, and I, and I swear I never see the sun, ever. Yeah. Well, I, that that does seem uh, – that doesn't necessarily well, – we don't see the sun for long, long, long periods of time here for a completely different reason. But that wouldn't surprise me because you've got – I mean, it really does – and i got to tell you that I've been to New York, I mean, I don't know, maybe five, six times. Every single time still, I am that nitwit tourist. I walk around with my neck craned up uh, like I'm, uh, you know, like I'm a chicken during a rainstorm. I absolutely do that because because it is so monolithic in its scale, the skyline, that it does just blot out any trace of natural light above. Yeah, that is that is a fact. It's frustrating. You wake up in the morning and you hear the weather guy say it's a beautiful day today, and you walk out the you know you walk out of the subway and it's like you take his word for it. 
I can't tell. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. Where's the sun? <sighs> all right. Um, I had something else I was going to ask you, but, you know, my brain's, uh, brain's kind of all over the place today because I keep thinking about breakfast cereal. What is, your, what is your favorite healthy breakfast cereal? What is your favorite sugared breakfast cereal, Steve Kastenbaum? Oh, geez. Healthy one, I kind of buy whatever's on sale. All right. Uh, sugared one, uh, I'd have to go with Alphabet. Alphabet. I don't think I've ever had Alphabet. Is Alphabet like, uh, is that like a, a frosted uh, Cheerios in terms of taste? Sort of looks, yeah, I guess that's how I would put it. It, it sort of looks like, uh, like Alphabet soup, you know, but the, the <laughs> but instead of it being circles like, like uh, the Cheerios, you're right. They're, they're, it's the entire Alphabet and they're, they're sugar coated, but they're not as sweet as like frosted flakes. All right. Duly noted. Enjoy your day, my friend. We will talk to you very soon. And I just have to let you know I'm bringing a new listener to your show. Some friends of mine are in the middle of driving cross-country because they're moving to your great city. And I told them they must listen to your show once they're settled in. Ah, uh, I am in your debt. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Uh, all right, go. Steve Kastenbaum, ladies and gentlemen. Excellent. Wonderful. Fantastic. It's uh, 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. In mere moments, we talk to... I'm, I'm going to get a glass of water, Sarah. Okie dokie. Is there something with which you can amuse the people? Oh, yes, I'm sure. All right, hold on. Let me just find something. Just, uh, go over and here and turn the mic off. Do you have to go get just... some water? Well, no, it's right here. I just don't want to be the guy that's clearing the throat. I, the only happiness. thing I have queued up right now is Sarah Palin's mm -hmm. thing from... Uh, well, let's play that. Last right, night. So we'll just... Uh, while I, uh, with the... Did you want me to play that? Yeah, I don't want to I don't to want to steal Tim Thunder, though. Uh, that's okay. Well, uh, oh, you, oh, her actual soundbite. I thought you meant yeah. like a Sarah Palin watch. All right, no, no, I've got the... Hold up, we'll just do... It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. More of your phone calls coming up. We have exciting news about Scotty J. Uh, more notes from last night. Tim Riley coming up at the uh, Ministry of Truth. We're going to talk to Al Petrelli, guitar player for the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, as well as uh, Megadeth, Alice Cooper, Widowmaker, etc., etc., so on and so forth. And all of that, ladies and gentlemen, it's now welcome to the Rick Emerson program from the Hill. CNN Radio Correspondent Bob <laughs> Hi there, Rick. Good afternoon. Hello, sir. How are you? All righty. Just fine. Are you just fine? You know, actually, it's still morning where you are, but it's uh, mid-afternoon here on the uh, fine uh, Capitol Hill. All right. Bob Costantini, before we proceed, please now to name for me uh, your favorite healthy breakfast cereal and your favorite uh, indulgent or sugared breakfast cereal. Go. <laughs> um, Spoon-sized shredded wheat uh, that's uh, coated with sugar. Now, wait, which is, which is that? It's both, I suppose. I, um, I, do, uh, I do eat uh, uh, some oatmeal, some relatively plain oatmeal some mornings. That's probably the healthiest you thing. Yes. All right. But, uh, but you really you're saying that the mini, the, the, the semi-coated spoon-sized shredded wheat is... Yes. That yeah. really counts as an indulgence in the Costantini household? It, it counts as enough of an indulgence for breakfast, especially. <laughs> well, all right then. Was it? A, I've tried to stay away from omelets and things. Was it enough of an indulgence that uh, you would frequently give it up for Lent as a youth? Would that count as a sacrifice when you were growing no. up? <laughs> uh, uh, for Lent, you would give up uh, sausage and uh, bacon and things like that. Really, you gave up bacon for Lent? <laughs> I have. I can't really remember. It's Did you ever make it all the way through? Did you make it through forty days of no bacon? 
uh, I, I probably could have survived. I would have died without a hamburger or two. I was going to say, when I was a kid. That really is truly impressive. If you were able to go, and for those who don't know, Lent is a period of 40 days of sacrifice that Catholics undertake between, uh, what is it, Fat Tuesday and Easter? And uh, you're supposed to either sacrifice something that you enjoy that you would not otherwise like to do, which is why it didn't work when we were going to Catholic school. I'm going to give up homework. Uh, you know, and then the teacher would whack us in the back of the head. And then later on, like around the late 70s, early 80s, they started doing this hippie, trippy, new age, uh, new fangled business of instead of giving something up, you could do something extra. So the nun would be like, well, kids, you don't have to give something up. You could always do something extra like going to help the poor, which is nobody was going to do. That didn't happen. I have to tell you this once, and then we'll move on to actual news. Once um, my mom tried to give up coffee for Lent. Oh. And I got to tell you, she made it all the way through, but that was the wor that was worse than when she went through menopause. My mom giving up coffee because I get my coffee addiction from my mom. My mom is a coffee yeah. addict from way back. My mom drinks coffee even now, 72. My mom drinks coffee up until the moment she goes to bed. My mom is drinking coffee and as as she's getting ready to go to sleep. But she gave up coffee for 40 days. I got to give her credit, but she toughed it out. She made it through. But boy, God, that was just the worst month and 10 days of my life. Mom, how are you? Fine. Yeah, no, it was awful. And then my dad at one point ill-advisedly tried to give up beer, and I swear to God that lasted less than a day. My, my dad, I'm gonna give up beer for Lent. Fast forward to like four in the afternoon when he's you know Homer Simpson. Where's my beer, boy? So, all right. Well, in any event, um, we give up broccoli. That's what uh, we weren't allowed to do. That I always wanted to give up beets, asparagus, Brussels sprouts, basically anything green or crunchy. I was I was good moving on from that. Uh, all right. So, are we going to be having another vote on this on all this the economy jazz today? Uh, yes, the Senate uh, will be voting this evening, um, and it is expected to pass. Uh, the reworked plan is expected to pass here on the Senate uh, side. Well, it was always going to pass in the Senate, though, right? It uh, it seemed a foregone conclusion by and large in the Senate, uh, because but over in the House where individual members. Uh, uh, you know, they make up uh, you know, 435 different districts, and so enough members were hearing uh, enough complaints from uh, some of their constituents that, uh, that there was concern. Uh, the House will re-vote uh, on this package. It's reworked, I should say. Uh, they will vote again on this package now on Friday, from what we understand. And uh, the uh, negotiators hope that they've got enough sweeteners in there uh, to, um, to make it work in the House. Can I ask you a dumb question? <laughs> I, I, I'm sure it's not a dumb question, actually, because it is a confusing oh, matter. Oh, you. Uh, so you know more about this than I do, and I, I, I know very little about economics, and people have heard me give that disclaimer a billion times. We had a professor yeah. of economics on yesterday, a guy, sort of a John Hausman kind of guy, who was great. He sounded, I don't want to say he was dull, but he was just very deliberate in that way that you want a professor of economics to be. He wasn't trying to be kooky or funny, and he wasn't doing some shtick. He was, I would ask him a question, he'd say, well, Rick, that's a good question. This goes back to the liquidity issue, which uh, arose when many Americans were living in Hoovervilles uh, after the stock market crash, which came about due to a lack of uh, fiscal regulation. And it was exactly the kind of thing you wanted to hear because he was just so solid and, like, factual about it. But uh, So they did, this, they did this thing, or I guess it's attached to this new version of the bailout, where they're going to up your FDIC insurance. Basically, it'll mean that you can put up to two hundred and fifty grand in a bank and the government will insure it because right now the government only backs your bank account up to 100 grand. 
So, That's right. So my question is... I'm extremely is, worried about all my accounts with more than 100,000. Exactly. You know? So I was, my, my wife and I had a little bit of an argument about this last night because she said, well, look, they're, you know, they're doing something, they're changing it, they're making it so the government insures your bank account up to $250,000. Who is this for? Who do you know that has a quarter million dollars and their quarter million dollars is so unimportant they're going to put it in like a regular bank account so they can get like half a percent on it or something? This was just seen as a way, basically, uh, to help prop up confidence in banks. Uh, we saw that Wachovia had to be sold uh, earlier this week, um, and uh, some other banks that you know might be having concerns. And, and you know, Washington Mutual, which uh, you may be familiar with, there um, uh, had to, uh, to be sold. Um, and it's it was a way of sort of boosting confidence in banks, and in particular. Uh, this was seen as a way to boost the confidence of small businesses and uh, well, for, to help them get loans. Uh, there are small businesses, uh, small business owners, that might have a significant amount of money in uh, a savings account or a checking account like that um, that would be covered by the FDIC. All right, well, that, okay, I can, that, that's where it sweetened it a little bit. I can see that. No, I know, okay, that makes sense. I can see raising it to 250 grand if it's some business uh, that has, you know, they have a savings or checking account or whatever for their small company. That makes sense. The idea that some just, I don't know, some jackass that's got a quarter million dollars and he, and he has no, I mean, really, if you have a quarter, if you feel at any point like you need access at any given time, you need to be able to access a quarter million dollars, you really should ask yourself what sort of life it is you're living. So, it's all, all right. about liquidity, I guess. Yeah. All right, that makes sense. My wife made this point, though. She said, she said, no, 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 no. They're raising the FDIC limit to $250,000. And don't get me wrong, my wife knows a lot. She said they're raising the limit to $250,000 because they want you know, more people to put their money in the banks. And yeah. I pointed out that, like, what is our motivation to do that? So, we can, so they can mismanage it again? Hey, bank, here's a quarter million of my dollars so you can give it to some guy who doesn't need it or deserve it and doesn't qualify for it. Yeah, it's a way of seeing that it's a way to help up uh, boost confidence in the banking uh, system overall. All right. Uh, are you on tomorrow, sir? Uh, I believe I'm going to be around, yes. All at right. Least uh, at the debate. Because uh, well, I'll ask you this today just in case you're not on tomorrow for some reason. Sure. Uh, is it safe to say that tomorrow's debate is going to be largely, if not entirely, about the economy? Um, I, You know what? It, it could be interesting because uh, they're – the debate on Friday uh, was, uh, you know, it started off with the economy, but these two candidates, uh, so much has been focused on their, uh, you know, uh, skills in the foreign diplomacy area and international relations and that sort of thing and, and you know, how much experience each one of them has and the lack of experience, of course, obviously, that uh, uh, that you know, has brought about some concern regarding Sarah Palin, uh, whereas uh, Joe Biden has so much that he will probably talk about it for a long time. Maybe he just shouldn't even show up. Well, <laughs> really, I mean, they keep talking about how it's a no-win situation. If, he, if, he, if he's beaten by a woman, a lot of people won't think he's a strong leader. If he beats up on a woman, then people are going to think he's mean. Everybody seems to think that Sarah Palin just has no clue what she's talking about. Everybody sort of grants that Joe Biden is at least a smart man, even if you disagree with him. Maybe he should be like, you know what? Sarah Palin really uh, needs some time to explain herself to the public and not look dense. So I'm going to be out there talking to some folks. You uh, have fun, Sarah. Bye. It'll be interesting. Uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. She has been studying up um, from what we understand. And, you know, Joe Biden is his old, effusive self, more than likely. Yeah. So, um, you know, it it, uh, it could be interesting. There were some significant differences in the debate on Friday regarding uh, 
foreign affairs right. and national security. Um, and uh, so we'll, we'll probably hear some echoing of that now. All right, my friend. As always, a pleasure. Enjoy your day, Bob. My pleasure. Right, there you go. Bob Costantini, ladies and gentlemen, joining us from the Hill, as he always does. Fantastic. Seriously, Biden should just say, look, I'm going to get some waffles or something. You all, uh, you just had this debate without me. You just let me know when you're done. Bye. He should come in at the end and just do a victory lap. He should just run in and go, vote for me. Bye. And, you know, I'm out. And then run. And just let her fill the 90 minutes by herself. That'd be fantastic. That'd be entertaining. It'd be informative. The whole thing's going to be entertaining. I think more so it's just going to be frustrating, though. Uh, well, that's, we'll be, I will say this about tomorrow, is that they've structured this in this way that is going to allow for a minimum of fireworks because they're not going to do a lot of interchange between the two. It's a very, you talk for 90 seconds. You give a rebuttal of one minute. You give a final rebuttal of 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And then they is it 90 minutes it. again? 90 minutes, you know, give or take. Yeah. But, it's, but they're not going to do a whole lot of like, not that it did any freaking good on Friday, because on Friday they had this, set up where Obama and McCain could supposedly just go right at each other, and then it never happened. Obama talked directly to him once. Mm-hmm. McCain talked to him directly, not at all. So even when they set it up to allow for personal exchange, that never happened. So uh, I will say this. Uh, Sarah Palin does strike me as the type that could cut him off and put him in a jar. So, And you all know that's true. So the, 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 the Democrats walk into this thinking, like, we got it sewn up. She's dumb as a rock. You are going to be effed. You are going to be screwed if you go into tomorrow night thinking that Sarah Palin's just going to let you walk all over her. She's going to kill you and stuff you and hang you over her mantle. So the Democrats and Democrats love, and then we'll break after this. We'll come back with Tim Riley. We've got a guy here, the prediction for the debate. Democrats, as I always point out, and as Tim has said repeatedly, Democrats love to lose. Democrats have a fixation on and a fetish for losing. Democrats especially love to lose when they've been ahead for a long time. And then Democrats love to lose when they've been ahead. They love to then get screwed in the very end. And then to give long, sort of sobby speeches about, like, you know, well, you know, we stuck to our guns and we followed our own moral compass. And regrettably, the American people have gone enough. So they love to celebrate their big moral victory as they're, like, cleaning their desks out. Mm -hmm. So it remains to be seen if the Democrats can break themselves of this weird codependence thing they have with the American people. Where the American people love them and then mistreat them, and then the Democrats just keep coming back for more. So I uh, I don't hold out hope, but you know we'll see. Doesn't matter to me. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. 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 Hey, it's you, sir. Hey, yeah. Rick. Sorry Hi. about that. Hey, my prediction tomorrow night: if she bombs, she is going to be compelled to back away from the vice presidency, thus allowing the McCain's McCain to come up with a new vice presidential running mate. So maybe it was a, maybe he picked her so she could just bomb and then she would leave and he could go back to picking Lieberman, which is what he wanted in the first place. Which which doesn't make him look as an indecisive president or not being able to make a a judgment. It allows her to back out and then he can get the guy in there he wants. Now see Sarah's shaking her head. We all know these things are unlikely, but this is the great fun of Nothing's this, right? But, but yeah, but see that's unlikely. that's like the prediction you made last week about bumping the presidential debate to Thursday yeah. so the vice president didn't have to debate. I can see it. Plausibly. Yeah, it's well, and it's one of those things. This is, you know, it's a little bit like playing fantasy football, you know, or you know what it is. Here's what it's like. These conversations where you talk about like maybe it's all a thing so she'll quit and then he can pick Lieberman, which makes him look decisive and gets this nutcase woman off the ticket, the ticket or whatever. This is sort of like sports guys who go, OK, now let me tell you, now, now, now what, though, if Tyson was able to go back and fight Joe Lewis when they were both at their peak? I mean, that's it. Right. So. Right. All right. If, if if she bombs tomorrow night, his his campaign is going to go down in flames, and he's going to have to do something to, 
to get back in the race. And that's the only thing I can see happening at this point is she gracefully bows out. All right. Thank you, sir. Prediction hey, noted. One hey. more, then we'll uh, take a break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hi, Rick. What's up? Um, I just got scoop on the the moderator for the debate tomorrow, Gwen Ifall. Yeah. She broke her ankle. Did you know that? That's not true, really. She was carrying loads of stuff to study for the debate up her stairs at home and broke her ankle last night. Wait, hold on. I'm going to Drudge right now. Uh, Gwen Ifall. All right, yeah, well, and the, the story they had about her is that she... This is the sort of uh, this is the sort of thing that Drudge excels at. Huge screaming yeah. headline noting that the moderator for tomorrow night's uh, debate has already contracted to write a book about Barack Obama. Yes, I read that too. That's <laughs> fine. Right. whatever. All right, I'll uh, pass it along to uh, I'll pass it along to Tim Riley. Thank you so much. Okay, bye. All right, there you go. You're so the is she backing out now? I don't know. Uh, we have to wait and see. Tim Tim will have all the answers, Sarah. Uh, right after we take this break from uh, some of our many paid advertisers here on the Rick Emerson uh, program. It's 503-733-2970. Don't go anywhere. Back after this. Here's Faster Pussycat. Emerson Radio Program, home of the world's finest bumper music. 503-733-2970 is our telephone number today. Still to come, top five. Uh, Court from Rock 101 KUFO does his top five teenage angst moping songs. Uh, Al Petrelli, who plays guitar for the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, as well as uh, has played, he's played with Megadeth, he's played with Alice Cooper, uh, a band called Widowmaker, who probably, uh, I think James Robinson, who works here, and myself, and Al Petrelli, I think we're the only three people who actually know that Widowmaker ever existed, but they're a fantastic man. Uh, let's see, what else? We're going to be giving away a copy of Sports Night, the entire series on DVD, to one uh, random on-air caller today. We'll talk to Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com and our final birth of a salesman semifinalist today. Final uh, contestant for that comes to the studio today. Oh, we got this weird uh, Partridge family news, which probably only Tim and I care about. Speaking of Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. Okay. First two juveniles have not only threatening injuries after they've been shot. In the 3300 block of Northeast 71st, the two victims who were taken to Emanuel, the kids told the cops who were sitting in a car when several other people approached them and shot into it. And apparently the, uh, the gang response team was notified because the kids are not being cooperative. Am Wait, I... so, okay, so, what, so these two kids are they're on... The 3300 block of Southeast 71st. Northeast. Northeast 71st. This is a Northeast crime for All right. So then where, what are they doing that gets... They're sitting in a car. Right. When several people approach the car and start shooting into it. And the kids who are shot are not cooperating because stop snitching and so forth. Right. All right. Well... I don't want to tell the man. You know what? You don't cooperate with the man, you get shot again someday. Have fun with that. And even worse next time, but I guess they're used to it. <laughs> the same, I mean, really. I mean, you can either tell the cops who... Let me just say this. Uh, the, 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 perhaps my world uh, view and outlook are different than you know, those of some. If some guy shoots me, I'm going to tell everybody I know who it was. Hey, that guy over there, he shot me, by the way, if for no other reason than I don't want to be shot again. That's not a concern. Enjoy your future death. All right, here's Tim Riley. Then somebody gets stabbed in the neck in North Portland. They're looking for the guy who uh, stabbed the guy in the neck. Uh, early this morning. Stabbing a guy in the neck seems particularly awful. I don't know why. 
Well, it happens if you don't have a gun. Hold on. Here, here's three places I don't want to be stabbed. Uh, the ear. Uh, I won't go for the eye, because that's an easy one. I don't want to be stabbed in the neck. I don't want to be stabbed uh, in, uh, in the ear. And I don't want to be stabbed... I don't want to be stabbed. Uh, I also won't go for the junk, because, again, that's just too easy of an answer. I don't wish to be stabbed at the base of my spine. Sarah, where do you not want to be stabbed? Mm, probably not in the arm. Yeah, that seems like it would hurt. Maybe right, like right by like, the elbow? Yeah, or like right right around there. Tim, where don't you want to be stabbed? Or not. Well, not in the face, because our insurance does not cover plastic surgery. No, and you're a pretty man. It's so, true. All right, here's Tim Riley. So uh, this uh, this neck guy, this happened in the 6600 block of North Orthwick. The man had been stabbed. He showed up at a home in the area and asked someone to call 911. Uh, they did that for him. They investigated the 6800 block of North Congress Street, but weren't able to find a crime scene. The attacker was still on the loose. It's not life-threatening. So people in some areas, they just patch people up and send them out again. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. They're ready for the next stabbings and shootings. <laughs> that's it's a just, way of life. It's just sort of like a, uh, it's just some, like some sort of a uh, blood stoppage. Uh, it, it's like a pit stop or something. You know what I mean? You go to NASCAR and they go around and they pull into the pit and the guy goes into, you know, and he puts the tires on or whatever. And then he, you know, is it, my, my engine's on fire. You just wrap it on duct tape and kick them on back out. That's what we're doing. So good for them. Money back from a utility? Yes, says the state utility regulators. They have ordered PGE to refund $33.1 million with interest to their customers. This is meant to solve 13 years of litigation relating to whether or not the utility company unlawfully charged customers. Well, apparently they find out that they did. This, ha this uh, relates to the Trojan nuclear plant. They closed it down in 1993 because of safety concerns while continuing to charge customers for its investment of the plant. So I guess if you, if you weren't billed, before 1993, you're not going to get anything back. But if you so were, how do they find out everybody who. Well, presumably they have records of that kind. I of would thing. imagine. Wait, so they so they they turned the plan off and then they were still billing everybody for yeah, it. Yeah, apparently. And then the thing they blew up a couple years ago. Yeah, that was funny. We yeah, we were covering that on the air when they they imploded it. They knocked it down, whatever it is they do. So all right. So PG is required to inform customers of the refund, and you will have six months to, to apply for it. I wonder how the you wait. Oh, no, 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 no. Let's back up for a second. Two things. One, how did this come to PGE's attention, or was it always to their attention? You know, were they always aware of this, and somebody like actually had to say, "No, you've got to pay this." This litigation has been going on for more than a decade, so it's been a lawyer's game. So it is your responsibility to contact PGE to get money that they actually owe to you. Mm -hmm. That seems a little bit backward. So the group argued that the Utilities Commission from April 1995 to October 2000 improperly allowed PGE to recover its unprecedented investment in Trojan as well as estimated profits on the plant. So if you are owed money by PGE, you got to A, know it, and then you got to go, you got to actually contact them to have them pay monies which are owed to you. I think everybody should do it. You never know. We should. Every single person in the city should demand that they uh, demand that they uh, be given money by PGE. Let them sort out the uh, let, let them sort out the uh, you know the, the truth from the knot. Here's Tim Riley. From Eugene comes where the man accused of murdering a Springfield woman with a rock will get 10 years in prison, although he does not admit guilt. Carl Meadows faced murder charges in the death of Trisha Jo Meadows, who was uh, found bludgeoned to death with a rock. The two were not related, but they did know each other. And that's that. Then from George Fox University, a peaceful college that nobody ever hears about. It's in Newburgh. It's run by Quakers, peaceful people. Wait, hold on. Quaker? I barely knew her. All right. Four of their students confessed to being involved in the hang of a cardboard cutout of Barack Obama. A custodian of the Christian college found it hanging from the tree. 
early yesterday morning, and this has become a national story for some reason. So they fessed up to it. The school's president made a statement to students yesterday. The statement was posted on the uh, George Fox website. They said, regardless of students' interest, the image of a black man hung from a tree is one of the most hurtful symbols of racism in American history. And this is a Christian college? Yes, it is. All right. Just wanted, wanted to make sure. And uh, I guess that's it for the local stuff here. Okay, so let's get to Sarah Palin stuff, because that's what you're waiting for. Sarah Palin, by the way, she has become the... Uh, Sarah Palin has become... The new Britney. Well, I was, well it's okay. Britney with panties. You go. She's Britney with a covered vagina. Uh, so, well, okay, we can go that way. I was going to say that Sarah Palin has become that thing that they constantly tease throughout a television show or when you're watching like some sort of long presentation of the Academy Awards that they're just sort of promoting throughout the night to keep you watching, at, you know, at least in the sort of pre-TiVo era, you know, when you couldn't just be skipping ahead. And then coming up later tonight, the thing you really care about. Now, two more hours of filler crap. Uh, or like Casey Kasem. Casey Kasem was the master of the guarantees. Mm-hmm. And Casey Kasem would do that whole thing. Of, Coming up, we'll talk to a man who came out of a burn clinic only to record a number one song using only a keyboard and his nose. With American Top 40 continues. And, you know, they would just drag oh, you the whole hour. Um, you know, the key to doing Casey Kasem is is to do Scotty J's voice, but then to um, to tighten up your throat a little bit and to make the, the vowels more angular uh, and sharp. Because uh, Scotty has that thing, and you got to tighten, you, your larynx got to tighten a little bit. Because Scotty J's sort of a more open-mouthed Casey Kasem. Scotty J has that, I'm doing great, Rick! But then Casey Kasem, you got to whisper it, and you got to tighten it up. So you go, I'm Casey Kasem on American Top 40. You know, and you just you sort of, it's like a strangled whisper. Um... Strangled Whisper, which is, uh, never mind. I was going to make a bad George Michael joke. I was going to throw a careless whisper. No, no, it's beneath me. Uh, and almost nothing is beneath me, but it is. Uh, but Casey Kasem would do the guarantees where he would he would tell you that at like the beginning of the hour. And I think it was a two-hour show because he did 20 songs per hour. He'd count down the American Top 40. Does that still exist? Do they still count down the Top 40? I think they probably gave that to Ryan Seacrest, too, like everything else. But I was listening to, I believe it's our own uh, oldie station. Uh, K-Hits. K-Hits. They're playing the original 70s Casey Kasem shows on Sunday mornings. No. Yes. Really? Yes. Really? Yes. Yes. I was going to do a... Rick Emerson is really excited about Casey Kasem. Oh, you've got to stop that voice or else it's going to go all No, i got to start listening to that. I'm not just saying that because they're part of the CBS cluster. Mm-hmm. I will absolutely listen to that. Casey Kasem, the thing about Casey Kasem is people really only know him as a, as a parody right now. Mm-hmm. People kind of only know him because jerks like me come on and make fun of him. But he really, he created that, man. That's a guy who, he is sort of like the musical Paul Harvey. Would you agree? Yes. Because Paul Harvey just carved out an absolute niche. And when you think about it, Casey Kasem and Paul Harvey are actually flip sides of the same coin in some way. Because Paul Harvey would do that thing of, and we'll tell you that young man's name after we talk about bows. And he would make you listen through a bunch of crap to figure out, and... It was Chris Christopherson. <laughs> Good day. You know, and he'd be done. He'd be like waiting for the whole thing just to hear the punchline. Casey Kasem was the same way because he would give that tease about the guy who recorded the song and he'd make you wait for like an hour and a half. And then he would come back and he'd go, it was Ringo Starr. Now I'm at the countdown. And, you know, and just like, what? Uh, and, but the thing is, you got suckered in every week, every week by the same ham handed maneuver uh, where he would give you the big, big tease. The answer they give you later is the payoff is never really worth the time you spent waiting for it, but you'd wait anyway. And then you realize you're just some sort of a trained dog 
where the master is sitting there with a kibble going, All right, roll over, jump up, play dead, juggle, ride a unicycle. And at the end, he just gets like a tiny piece of dog food for it. The dog never smartens up, though, just like I never did. So, um, what was I doing? Casey Kasem, Sarah Palin. So Sarah Palin has become the thing that we now sort of dangle like a carrot on a stick because that's what people are really wanting to talk about. So yeah. here we go. So this is from another uh, little Katie Carrick talk. And uh, Sarah Palin is asked to tell us about what she reads. So if my pot is up, we're ready to rock and roll. And when it comes to establishing your worldview, I was curious, what newspapers and magazines did you regularly read before you were tapped for this to stay informed and to understand the I've world? I've read most of them, again, with a great appreciation for the press, for the media. But like what I mean specifically, I'm curious that you... Um, all of them, any of them that um, have, have been in front of me over all these years. Um, I, have a va- I have a vast variety of sources where we get our news. Alaska isn't a foreign country where it's kind of suggested it seems like, wow, how could you keep in touch with what the rest of Washington, D.C. may be thinking and doing when you live up there in Alaska? Believe me, Alaska is like a microcosm of America. As Meg Ryan once said, "Wow, I have no response to that. You can watch it on my website. I put it up at RileyLive.com. You know, this whole morning I was thinking I'd have lots to say about that soundbite, but I don't even really know that I do. Really, what is there, what is there to say except for you've seen right now one of Sarah Palin's, and I mean this sincerely, one of her great strengths, which is the ability to take something she can't answer, uh, something to which there is no response in her head, and then the response is just throwing out. You know what she is? I'm okay. You're accusing me of being stupid because I'm from Alaska. Well, that's well. Well, you don't have to be from Alaska to be stupid. She does. Well, she does. She has three basic moves. The first move is, and then I'm going to tie this into GI Joe. That's right. Uh, so the first move is she just blurts out a bunch of talking points. As, and you pointed this. Have you seen that thing online? There is now a website online where you. It's like you ask Sarah Palin any question, oh, yeah, and it just spits out like a form answer based upon the stuff she always says. So it's like you'd say, which do you prefer, um, you know, uh, doubling down on 11 or, you know, or just hitting once more on 11 or whatever? And she says, well, what we really need to do in terms of things like that is to look at things that are going to grow the economy, because that's what the average person is worried about in terms of the national security and where we're going as a people with the values for our children and the coalition of strength that we need to show to our enemies so the economy can really boom, which is what we need to keep this culture going, which is the what is a beacon for, really for the rest of the world when they look at us in terms of our economy and our children and Jesus and God. Butter. Guns. And then, like, that's it. That's the answer. Because that's her thing. So she has three moves. She throws out talking points to everything. One, uh, the second thing is, she will say, well, you know, Katie, the answer to this isn't going to make the elites in Washington happy because, you know, they just don't like uh, a working class person running for president. Well, I'm, uh, so maybe there was some memo about that that I missed. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is to say that it's some sort of a backhanded attack on Alaska, which no one does. No one, when is the last time you heard anybody even mention Alaska, much less attack it? People don't care about Alaska one way or the other. So, but she turned. Did you see last night when they went to that island from where oh, you could see Russia? Oh, little island, and they showed people throwing bags of garbage into the ocean. They're a sophisticated lot. I got a lot. Well, we should talk about that. We should do a whole different thing. And then on the man that is sitting there second. chewing tobacco, or possibly his own teeth, and swallowing <laughs> them while he's answering teeth. Them. He had no teeth. <laughs> I'm gonna write it down so we can do that as a separate thing. Um, okay, so here's my GI Joe reference, though. Here's what Sarah Palin does really well, and this is this is a trait that will come in handy tomorrow night when everybody thinks she's going to get creamed, and I'm telling you right now, that's not likely. 
Storm Shadow was a ninja, uh, or probably is a ninja, depending if they include him in the upcoming feature film based upon the property. Storm Shadow was this ninja that whenever he was confronted, he does that thing of going, what? He throws his hand down to the ground, and a puff of smoke comes up, and then like that, it's gone. And Sarah Palin does that. But it's not really like ninja cloud, fire, smoke, ash, whatever. It's just this big blur of responses that don't have anything to do with one another, but when woven together into a web, sort of protect her from the question. They sort of make the question go away. And so it is It is not unlike that XK9 invisible shield that Colgate used to put on your teeth, where Sarah Palin will... Here's another thing. You know what, you know what Sarah Palin's responses are like? Sarah Palin's responses are like that force field around the ships in Independence Day. So when the uh, American fighters are all approaching the Independence Day mothership, and they all do that like, missiles away! And the missiles streak toward the Independence Day mothership. And then they hit it, and it's just that weird blue algae-looking field that pops up. It repels the missiles and then goes away again. That's what Sarah Palin's answers are. There's no real substance there. You don't really know what they're made of. They don't seem to have any physical or tangible form. But they do really well in deflecting the question. And that's what Joe Biden's going to be careful of tomorrow. But the thing is, there's really no way to defend against it. Because that answer isn't meant for Katie Couric. That answer is meant for the average tool user that's watching television and thinks, well, she's got a good point. She does speak pretty authoritatively, and I don't want to look as though I'm picking on Alaska. Maybe I will vote for her. And, uh, and that is a that is a legitimate uh, weapon in the speech arsenal. And she does it very well. And she reads everything, by the way. Can you just play that whole thing one more time? Sure. And when it comes to establishing your worldview, I was curious, what newspapers and magazines did you regularly read before you were tapped for this to stay informed and to understand the I've world? I read most of them, again, with a great appreciation for the press, for the media. Like what I mean, specifically, I'm curious, that you... Um, all of them, any of them that um, have, have been in front of me over all these years. Um, I, have a vast, I have a vast variety of sources where we get our news. Alaska isn't a foreign country where it's kind of suggested it seems like, wow, how could you keep in touch with what the rest of Washington, D.C. may be thinking and doing when you live up there in Alaska? Believe me, Alaska is like a microcosm of America. You know, by you know that right now she's in a room and they're drilling into her the names of 15 different magazines and they're making her memorize paragraphs from articles from those. Ma so she can say, well, just last week in The New Economist, they were saying on page 55 with a footnote down at the bottom that, uh, you know, in NRA monthly. Yeah, totally. Um, so there's that. I mean, did you see Babe Buchanan last night? Yeah. Boy, I detest that woman. I just despise Babe Buchanan, not because of any ideology that she has. I mean, it doesn't matter. I don't care. But it's just that she's so completely – There's, she, Babe Buchanan is not unlike uh, so many of those guys, the talking heads on any news channel of your choice. There's just no substance there. And the problem with Babe Buchanan is she lives her whole life in the shadow of her brother, Pat Buchanan, who is one of the smartest people who has ever lived. I mean, Pat Buchanan and I – and I think I can speak for Tim on this uh, – we agree with Pat Buchanan on almost nothing. Right. But you know what? Pat Buchanan is a realist. He can analyze a situation. He can look at it from all sides and give you objective uh, input on a situation, a response, an answer, a candidate. But she, use, she uses all-purpose spin, yeah. regardless of what the question is. It, it, it just makes you think you're wasting time that's, even asking her. No, that's what it is. She is, she is absolutely a filler. She is a placeholder until they can get a better um, sort of respondent or panelist on there. But because she lives in the shadow of Pat Buchanan, which I'll grant you is a big shadow, 
she has this whole thing with, I, I can be a conservative commentator too. Look at me. I know stuff. Not, not, not. Like jumping up and down and juggling in place. And it's just a whole bunch of crap. It's just, it's not even, it's not even that I disagree with anything she says. It's just a waste of time because it's so utterly without any kind of content. Right. So, um, you know, and, and like if you're going to get somebody to do it, you could at least make her hot. Get one of those uh, leggy blonde Republicans everybody likes so much. Stick them on the television. All she has to do is smile. So Bay Buchanan is just a waste of space. Head like a mushroom, by the way. I mean, it's like square body, tiny little uh, stick neck, and then her head. You know what her head looks like? Her head looks like she just came off that that Hey Arnold show on Nickelodeon. You know what I mean? Like a football that's sort of been deflated. You're kind of squishing it down a little bit, and then you put like an ill-fitting wig on. She looks like a football who is wearing that wig that E.T. wears on Halloween or whatever it is. You know, when they go to the, they go to the closet and he's got that blonde wig on? That's what Babe Buchanan looks like. That's right. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Uh, Rick, this uh, Sarah Palin interview is is just like Office Space, man, where um, those guys who are making cuts in the workforce are interviewing Michael Bolton, and they go, um, you know, Michael, we, you know, we just love you. Uh, you know, what's your favorite Michael Bolton song? And he's just like, all of them. <laughs> you know, <he's> just... <laughs> I, um, I, I like them all, I guess. I, uh, me too! Because, because, but, you know, Sarah Palin is really miscalculated if she thinks that the average American is gonna go, I also read everything! Because really the response from the average American is, I also read nothing! Exactly. So, uh, it's just, it is kind of glorious to watch though, it, just seeing Katie Couric in, you can watch it on her face, too, as Katie Couric is thinking to herself, on the one hand, I mean, even Katie Couric is spotting this. I'm to starting sit. to discover that she might not be all that smart. <laughs> and Katie Couric has two concurrent trains of thought going. One of them is, all right, she didn't really answer the question. Wait, is that right, Katie? Yeah, that's right, Katie. She didn't. Wait, hold on. Let's think it back in our head. Hold on. What are we? Th- no, no, those are dinner reservations. No, no, those are shoes. Okay, there's the answer. No, she didn't answer it. Okay, maybe I should ask her again. But on the one hand... Katie Couric, you can tell, is also thinking, okay, we worked really hard for this interview, and she speaks to almost nobody, and I really want to be taken seriously as a journalist, so maybe I don't want to alienate Sarah Palin. I want her to be able to come back at some point. I guess I won't ask a follow-up. Sarah Palin, I like Gossip Girl. Do you like Gossip Girl? You know, because, because Katie Couric is so desperate not to come off as confrontational. It's all very frustrating. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, what's going on, everybody? What's up? Hey, so uh, I was showing my roommate that clip on uh, on uh, Tim Riley's website that Jack Cafferty. Oh, uh, yeah. Is that the one where he says, like, if you're not terrified, you ought to be or something like that? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, and then she uh, showed me this, uh, this uh, it was an article where somebody asked Sarah Palin to name one uh, Supreme Court case. Well, see, now this is the thing that they're supposedly going to be playing tonight on CBS News. Oh, okay. And, yeah, okay, well... Anyway, so she thought, I guess she thought about it really hard for like a minute or so. And then the only thing she could come up with was Roe versus Wade. Yeah, see, so this, so we're kind of unclear about when this, if this is going to air at all. So, yeah, so the, let me just, uh, I'll read this one more time. So the story we had today, and I apologize, I don't I think it's from Politico, but they, um, but, but the, the story is, because I, now, Tim, correct me on this. Did they film all of the Sarah Palin stuff on one day and they're giving it that to us? I don't know. Because they must have filmed it over a couple of days because McCain was only there for part of it. Mm-hmm. Unless that he just dropped in halfway through the interview and they're giving it to us piecemeal, but it was all done in one long sitting. Right. Like you'll hear music stations do this a lot. Music stations will do this thing where they'll have, they'll interview like, you know, Chris Cornell for 25 minutes. 
But then they'll play 10 minutes of it every night. And they'll go, tonight we're concluding our three-part interview. With, it's not a three-part interview. It's one 20-minute interview that they are chopping into three segments and dragging it out so you listen longer. Um, so I wonder if they did that. But uh, So they say here, an anonymous Palinade uh, says that CBS was talking to her about Supreme Court decisions. She noted Roe v. Wade, but that, quote, there was a long silence where she was unable to reference or discuss any other major court cases. And the rumor, CBS will not comment on this. Uh, but the rumor is that that footage will air tonight on CBS. So remains to be seen. Wow. All right, but I mean, but so you 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 do sort of you appear to be right in the abstract. I guess the question did exist. The question, not the question about the question is whether they're going to you know, play back her response tonight. So uh, I will well, be. Uh, show ever, man. Thank you, my thank friend. You. I I will be glued to my television tonight. I cannot that. wait. I will be watching that. <sighs> All right. Uh, do we have more about that, Tim? We have uh, more talking points here. Excellent. This apparently from another interview, well, maybe the same one, the Alaska governor uh, tells us whether or not she believes climate change is real. The world's weather patterns are, are cyclical, and, and over history we have seen changes there. But um, it kind of doesn't matter at this point uh, as we debate what caused it. The point is, it's real. We need to do something about it. It's real. That's R-I-L-L, by the way. All right. Uh, she talks about religion in school. I won't ever deny that I see the hand of God in this beautiful creation that is Earth, but that is not part of a policy or a local curriculum in a school district. Science should be taught in science class. She has a very sort of stilted way of talking right now, and I wonder if that's because, and everybody goes back to that Republican convention, which it was a real barn burner of a speech. It really was. It was an incredible speech, very well done, very effectively delivered and powerful and forceful and charismatic in a sort of horrible Cruella de Vil kind of way and all of that. These answers, though, I do buy into what a lot of people have said, that they have just robbed her of her confidence by locking her away. Where they said, no, no, you're great. No, we're not actually going to let anybody see you, though. I mean, you know, you know what they've done to her? Wait, wait. Having compared her to Storm Shadow, a ninja from the G.I. Joe cartoon and possibly movie? Yes. I'm now going to make yet another comparison. And, by the way, having compared her answers to the force field around the Independence Day ship, I'm now going to make another pop culture comparison, because that's where we live, kids. Sarah Palin is the Carney Phillips of the 2008 election cycle interview, where, you remember back, you watch those Wilson Phillips videos? And it's like, hey, there's that hot China Phillips. Look at her, full body shot, prancing on a beach. Hey, look at that hot Wendy Wilson. Boy, she's gorgeous, strolling down a boardwalk, wearing something tight. Hey, it's Carney Wilson's fat eyes peeking around a corner because they won't put the rest of her on camera. Fat eyes. Totally. <laughs> but no, but you know what I mean? It was just like, it was like a Kilroy was here kind of a thing. You remember, it was like, it was, you know, like for the chorus, she would pop up like from behind a fence. You know, hold on for one more day. And then they'd shove her back down because she was... Because she was a woman of uh, of size, a woman of larger carriage, as Michael Mara would say. And they did the same thing, by the way, to Ann Wilson from Heart in the 80s. Hey, here's Nancy Wilson dressed up like a hot, like, you know, whatever, like a hot rock vixen or something. And then literally they would put Nancy Wilson would be playing the guitar and they would literally put Ann Wilson. And if you remember the video for um, I think it's the video for Alone, they literally had Ann Wilson, who, by the way, is the better singer of the two. All the Heart songs you love. That's Ann Wilson singing. They had her dressed up in, I swear to God, a welder's outfit. Like big ass, like a welder's apron and a welder's helmet, and I'm not making this up. They had Ann Wilson in a welding outfit so that no one could see that she had gained a lot of weight. Because they figured, no one really wants to see her, so let's keep her off camera. 
And if she, look, if she makes a fuss, you know, because girls get like that. If she demands that, you know, she gets some camera time, just um, try to limit it to about three seconds and then cut away to somebody pretty. All right, great. Thanks. We don't, and don't tell Anne about this. Just uh, throw a bagel over there. Just keep her distracted. That's what they're doing with Sarah Palin. So Sarah Palin, very fiery speaker, and they immediately said, look, we're not going to let you talk. You're going to have to go live in this crate um, until November 3rd, and uh, we'll put in a hot dog every now and again. So just uh, stay. Good boy. Stay, stay, stay. And, and, and so all, and now when she gets on camera, she's just completely lost her confidence. I mean, she's rattled. And I hate to be the guy using sports analogies, but I do think it's a well-known sort of sports idiom or a thing like that. That, you know, a guy blows a game, you don't bench him, you put him right back out because otherwise you sit there in the bench and you just work yourself into a, a you know, a tizzy. Although sports people probably don't work themselves into tizzies. But you get, sit there, you get inside your own head and you psych yourself out and you get rattled about maybe you've lost it. And so much by keeping her out of the public eye, when she does, she's got all of this expectation on her shoulders, and she just folds uh, like a house of cards, man. So, all right. She tries to keep an open mind on homosexuality. As for homosexuality, I am not going to judge Americans and the decisions that they make in their adult personal relationships. The decisions they make. But That's she did it. have a friend who decided to be a homosexual. Really, did she? Mm-hmm. All right. Was there, there was a toaster oven in it for him? Yes. All right. The... Uh, the decision, and that's, by the way, I, here's another thing about Sarah Palin. This is why you got to watch out for her, because she is crafty, not unlike the girl in the Beastie Boys song, uh, is that she does choose her words very carefully. Let's have no illusions about this. Just like when, um, just like when some folks uh, during one of the conventions a few weeks back kept talking about um, people in New York, and, uh, you know, and they kept, uh, they kept talking about the elite class in New York and so forth and back east. And uh, we all know what we all know what that is. We all know what that is a coded reference, you know, to. We all know how that is a way to pander uh, to the narrow-minded and the bigoted in some way. You know what this is? When she says, "I'm not going to tell adults what they should do when they make choices as adults," that is a coded uh, little message to the evangelicals and to people on the right, uh, you know, about the fact that she believes homosexuality uh, to be a choice and so forth. So, I mean, that's a clever little play on words she did there. Is this the end of the Palin segment, or is there more to come, Tim? There'll be more to come probably tonight. All right. Well, I should give my notes uh, about it right now. Or should we break, Sarah? Let's break, because you know that we're not going to stop talking about this. That's Let's true. Break out of the way. She is what Americans care about today. Uh, so, uh, there you go. Okay, we'll come back. We'll talk more about Sarah Palin. And uh, let's see, we also have uh, Mr. Skin coming up later on from MrSkin.com about all that is good and glorious in the world of bosoms and butts. We'll talk about breakfast cereal. I swear to God, we're going to talk about breakfast cereal. Al Petrelli from the Trans-Siberian Orchestra will join us. Later on, our final birth of a salesman semifinalist and another top five teenage angst moping song. Stay there. See that you've sold me on that. Hey Richie. Richie Bristol. Never mind. That Sometimes I wonder if he secretly disconnected this button and when I press it it really goes nowhere. It's like those it's like the door close button on the elevator. Or that thing that lets you cross at a crosswalk, which never really does anything at all. You press it. And they just put it there so you feel like you have control over something. You yeah. do not. Something like 80% of them in the city don't work. Yeah, elevator. Well, you know, here's the thing. When you, when you get an elevator, uh, when they put it in an elevator, the door close button, it's disconnected. The default uh, position is disconnected. You actually have to request that they connect it for some reason. All right. It's 503-733-2970. Sarah and I were just talking about, um, well, we got a top five coming up later on. Uh, Court from Rock 101 KUFO is going to be doing his top five teen angst. 
moping songs. Tomorrow, Big Jim. Friday, Andy, the homeschool kid. Uh, this guy says, about broken-hearted songs, uh, this guy says, this is, um, he just says, oh, Chris. He says, Rick, when is someone going to include Brian McKnight's One Last Cry? You've got to hear it today. It's the best broken heart song ever. And so we were talking about that, and then Sarah said, I wish somebody would include One More Time by Timmy T. One more try. One more try. Can we give it one more try? And then I was talking about, hey, he was just kind of a big, fat, white guy. And you said that he was actually kind of svelte back when that song came out. And I thought he was always kind of chunky. No, he was good looking. I thought he was like a big Uncle Cracker looking guy. Mm. All right, well, uh, and then so then I made the observation we could probably get Timmy T at this point. So, uh, Richie, are you... Uh, I wonder what he's doing. Are you back in the room? <laughs> You're great. Uh, hey, can you locate uh, 90s one-hit wonder Timmy T, uh, who uh, performed the song One More Try? Yep. Do you remember that song? Yeah, that is it. I need you putting my... Yeah. <laughs> totally. No nights without you. Oh, baby. We can it. I love the breakdown he's talking. He's like, oh, girl. You know I love you. I love all this treasure. Totally. And, you know, he... Don't let me go. And that little breakdown, by the way, is completely stolen, as are many, many things, from L.O. Cool J. L.O. Cool J, who, as they once said about Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, there was, I read a rock critic one time, he was some, some article, and he said that anything you can do, Jerry Lee Lewis has already done and better. Well, in the world of anything even vaguely related to hip-hop, anything you can do, L.O. Cool J has already done and better than you will ever do it. And that was already, that was, you know, L.O. Cool J had that song, I Need Love. Girl, I did. This song, I'm, I'll be looking for you. I'm so tired of, so tired of being alone. And he's like talking right to, and the video is talking to the camera. Talking to the camera, pandering to teenage girls. I did see his bitching clothing line at Sears yesterday. Hello, Cool J? Oh, yeah. I dig that guy. Mm -hmm. I'd like some L.A. Cool J bitching clothes. <laughs> he's the gold standard. <laughs> By the way, uh, so apparently I'm irritating one or perhaps many listeners who Ed, think what is it what is what ed sent you some Ed email Keister, yeah, what did sorry, ed say, say ed keister if that is your real no, name ed always writes, he's, a, he's a great he, listener uh, and he writes some very well thought out emails and i'm watching him get more and more angry throughout the emails like he keeps cc'ing me on the why is he angry because he's saying how nobody's fooled by sarah palin's answers no one the only one that's fooled by it is you and then they, they get increasingly more cat block and then at the end he's just like i i don't respect you anymore i do i still love you all right, well, let's clarify two things right now. First of all, many, many, many people are and will be continued to be fooled by Sarah Palin's answers. I mean, really, if you, if you doubt that, you're not riding enough public transportation. Two, a lot of people think it's brilliance. That's the thing. Is it, too, and it's not like I'm fooled by her answers in the sense that I think there's any real substance there. Clearly, there isn't. But, and by the way, I should also make a note that there's, there's very little substance in almost any answer that any politician gives to any question. And most people do not listen to full sentences. No, I mean, a couple of words might catch someone's ear, but other than that... I would really strongly encourage you to go back and listen to a lot of things that Bill Clinton used to say. Now, Bill Clinton, much more polished. Bill Clinton, a much smoother speaker, had a lot more oratorical flourishes. Really go back and give a good, long listen to some of the crap that used to come out of Bill Clinton's mouth. Do you think there was any, as Joan Cusack says in uh, Say Anything, there's no food in your food. Well, there's no answers in any of Bill Clinton's answers. It is not what you say in this country. It is, in fact, how you say it. And that's the truth, my friend. And uh, so it's not that I'm fooled by anything Sarah Palin says. I just think she's a good speaker uh, in the sense that she knows how to sort of gloss over the fact in a kind of forward motion sense uh, uh, that she doesn't know things. 
And she does it in a way that will resonate uh, with just the average gum chewer in this country. So, and by the way, if the idea that Sarah Palin doesn't know how to answer a question or that she can't speak effectively, that belief is what's going to get people disappointed on Thursday when she's not crucified, which is what everybody sort of seems to think is going to happen. That's not going to, I'll tell you this, I'm not saying it won't happen. I will be astounded if it's some sort of a blowout on Thursday and Joe Biden just nails her up. I will, I will be amazed if she does not come off pretty well on Friday because within certain narrow parameters, she is an effective speaker. I'm not saying she's an intelligent speaker or an informed speaker, but she's effective. And you know what? All you have to be in politics is informed, uh, is is uh, is effective. You don't have to be informed or smart or intelligent or ambitious or good or moral or upright or thrift or courteous or courageous. All you have to be is effective, and that's what she is. Uh, here's Tim Riley. So let's talk more about this. Uh, no, we're not going to do the debate yet. We'll get back to that later. Now we're going to talk about uh, House Minority Leader John Boehner who's blaming Nancy Pelosi for that speech that hurt all the Republicans' feelings. He said that speech right before the vote makes it easier for Republicans to reject the bill, and therefore they did so. I can find it. Oh, here it is. She just laid it out to them that they were going to be attacked, that if they voted for the bill, that the Democrats were going to take all the credit for it, and that they were going to continue to blame all of this on the Bush administration rather than accept the blame for the overregulation that they imposed. Nancy Pelosi sometimes seems like a bird that might come peck your eyes out. Yeah. I see her speak, and I expect her to dive right at the camera and go right for some dude's pupils. So John McCain says Americans must show the world how much we can accomplish. Crises often have a way of revealing our better selves, of showing what we're made of, and how much we can achieve when we're put to the test. Eh, all right. Uh, Barack Obama says uh, lawmakers really have to do something soon. As soon as we pass this rescue package, we need to move with the same sense of urgency to rescue family. Is that it? Not even a whole no. sentence. No. And by the way, that's a well, perfect... If, if, what's her name get away with this? So can he. And that is a perfect example, by the way, of a statement that means nothing. As soon as we proceed or whatever, resume with the rescue package, we need to move forward with rescuing American families. That doesn't mean anything. There's nothing, no calories in that response at all. So uh, that same sort of uh, puffery, as they call it in the world of advertising, yeah. that is found on both sides. I mean, look, you know, um, Obama's speech at the Democratic Convention was, it was very good, masterfully delivered in a lot of ways. It's really nothing to point at. There's nothing you can hold on, and there's no footholds. I mean, it's a completely tractionless speech. It's just a whole lot of hot wind. So, you know, what are you going to do? By the way, somebody has point. I don't know if this is true or not. This seems like a thing that's so, it's so perfect, it can't possibly be true. Um, because we're talking about that, uh, the Sarah Palin thing where she says that she, quote, reads everything. Says, Rick, you know what's funny about Sarah Palin not being able to name one magazine or newspaper she reads? She has a degree in journalism. That can't possibly. That's too perfect. That seems like a thing that really seems like it ought to be true in some horrible, perverse way, but probably isn't. Here's Tim Riley. So uh, John McCain isn't showing much concern over the controversy surrounding the moderator for tomorrow night's vice presidential debate. It is veteran PBS journalist Gwen Ifill who said to moderate the debate, and apparently she, she broke some bones, but is still going to do it. I've seen her, Tim. She is an Ifill. Well, she will be again tomorrow night. She'll soon release a book that's favorable to Barack Obama. Does this help that if she has written a book that's favorable to Senator Obama? I, probably not, but I uh, have confidence that Gwen Eiffel will do a professional job. Doesn't anybody vet anybody anymore? No. There is such a thing. Uh, what is it? Caesar's wife must be above reproach or mm-hmm. above something, whatever it is. I'm not saying that she's not going to be fair. I mean, 
none of these things are fair anyway, because it's all just, you know, it's all just a bunch of hucksterism and shenanigans. We all know that. But you would think at the very least, like, PBS would try to find somebody who didn't already have a book deal based on Barack Obama winning the presidency. See, that's what I'm talking about when I say that they just, people are just dense sometimes. They just don't bother to do their homework. Jesus. Because, you know, right now it's probably still the biggest headline in Drudge. I, when I went to bed last night, it was on Drudge in print that was like four inches high. That is the sort of thing that lets Republicans win. When they decide to book a debate moderator who has already taken money for a book deal that is predicated on Obama winning. God, people are dense. All right, here's Tim Riley. Let's go to Oklahoma, shall we? Little break Not for real. No? Oh, okay. It's been a long time coming, and it's good news, primarily to chicken farmers of Oklahoma who spread chicken litter on cropland. The court has found that the practice is not causing pollution. Mike Spaulding, the president of the Oklahoma Farm Bureau, says that's good news for everyone. It's a very positive decision on behalf of the, not only the poultry orders of the state of Oklahoma, but potentially Dang, man, livestock uh, producers in the entire United States. All right. You have to play that again because... He really did go like full king of the hill. It's a very positive decision on behalf of the, not only the poultry orders of the state of Oklahoma, but potentially livestock uh, <laughs> producers in the entire United States. Dang old man, dang old, dead in his memory, but dang old, gun in the drawer, and look at the dang old NRA, dang old. Now, don't poultry kill people. producers have applied poultry litter to croplands in good practice, and there are methods that are fine to make the practice even better. There's still a lot of research going on, a lot of the practices that we can do that help uh, eliminate some of the problem that's uh, been accused of. Some of the problem it's been accused of. She can do anything she wants to be. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello, Rick. Hey. Hey, uh, oh, sir, they showed footage of her years ago, probably 20 years ago. She was actually a newscaster. She was a sportscaster. Right. Yeah, so I, 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 I believe true. she was a journalist. Uh, uh, probably was a journalist major. No, she was a journalist. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me because she uh, she was. That's right. I forgot about that. She was a sportscaster. And by the way, this is the this is the thing I go back to again and again. These, people just keep oh, she's so dense. She's gonna blow it tomorrow. She has not only been on television as a politician, but as you point out, sir, she worked professionally on television. As and people could say, well, just as a sportscaster, but it's still being comfortable in front of a camera, you know, memorizing things, saying things, adjusting to changing circumstances. A guy tells you in your ear that a story is wrong. You got to fix it on the fly. Uh, that's why she's really going to do a lot better tomorrow than people think. That's well noted, sir. Have you uh, have you seen any of the actual footage of her doing sports casting? Uh, yeah, I saw some of it on the. Uh, they showed some of it here probably a couple months ago. What is it? Is she uh, is she good? Uh, you know, it was back in the '80s. She's got the whole '80s hair thing going. Kind of hard to concentrate. I was looking at that, but uh, she she's okay. I mean, you know, she's a sportscaster, so. You know, you're pretty much just reading scores and things. So. That's true. Uh, take, you know. If you if you sort of leave aside the issue of the '80s hair, uh, was she hot? Yeah, she looked okay. I mean, for an '80s look, it looked pretty good. That's what I was looking at. All right. And uh, yeah, she didn't look too bad. She looked okay. All right, cool. Thank you, sir. Okay, buddy. All Great right, show ever. Thank you, my friend. All right, there you go. I'd forgotten about that. She was a sportscaster, not unlike Ronald Reagan, Tim. That's correct. The great communicator. Mm -hmm. Here's Tim Riley. Three twirlers at Van High School in Van Zandt County, Texas, are going to be sitting out the next two football games for using a controversial song in a pimp rally. At a pimp rally? Pimp rally. Oh. The girls were disciplined after performing a Katy Perry song that includes the lyrics, I kissed the girl and I liked it. I hate that song. I hate that song so much. Well, the superintendent, Suzanne McWilliams, said the suspensions came as a result of violations of the student code of conduct. We did have rules in place, and rules were broken, and discipline followed.
Jordan Dowdy admits the school sponsor advised against doing a routine to this song. They told us that it probably wouldn't be a very good idea. And then we decided, like, it's not a big deal. We'll just run for it. Nobody's going to care. So she and the other girls will have to sit out one pep rally and two football games as punishment. The pep rally is okay. Like, I could deal with that one. But the game, I really like to perform, especially since it's a home game. The song is just a song. Just like any other song. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, it, it is sort of comforting to know that some things never change in that uh, teenagers and high school students can irritate tight-ass parents and teachers with just the tiniest of deviations from the norm. Here's the only reason I hate that song. What is her name? Jane Perry? Uh, Katy Perry. Katy Perry. I've never heard it. I've heard of it. I've heard about it. How terrible song. How commercial it was. But it's not even like... I mean, it's already a song I kissed a girl. That's, but see, that's the thing. Is a, uh, the Katy Perry song is not all that good. It's, it's, yeah, it's just very bland to me. And maybe I'm old. Uh, maybe I'm not a high school girl. Maybe I'm not a high school girl. I might be, though. <laughs> maybe, uh, just maybe. There is, the, there is the possibility that this is all just some weird hallucination uh, that I'm having while I'm asleep in study hall. Um, so I'm not a high school girl, so I'm not the target market for it. But it's a bad song. And the other reason, and Sarah just did on this, the, the reason I don't like it is because it sort of overwrites in the public consciousness, I Kissed a Girl by Jill Sobule. And Jill Sobule's I Kissed a Girl is not like that great of a song, but the album that it comes off of, that Jill Sobule album that contains the song I Kissed a Girl is really one of the overlooked alternative song, uh, alternative albums of that time period. That Jill Sobule record uh, is re- really quite something. And now she's singing furniture jingles. So, you know, what are you going to do? Here's Tim Riley. Let's talk about it. Here's uh, Heather Locklear arrested for DUI the other day. This happened in Malibu. A citizen called 911. Here's a portion of that telephone call. We were at the market. She was drunk in the market. She got in the car, and then we saw her pulled over. She's now pulled over, and she's walking. she wandered up and down the street, but now she's back in the driver's seat. Already? <laughs> She was then taken away to Santa, she was taken away to Santa Barbara Jail. Really? What must Santa Barbara Jail be like? Do you go to the spa part of that place uh, first, or you, the massage place? You pick your own colors before yeah. you go there. That was totally Cartman's mom, though, and she appears to be running down pedestrians by the score. All righty. All right. Here's uh, Tim Riley. Jesus. Last Thursday season opener of the ABC drama Grey's Anatomy was extra special because country superstar Taylor Swift was there. Not only is the show her first love, the episode also features Swift's song, White Horse. You know, that's absolutely my favorite, favorite show. So, oh my gosh, just experiencing that and standing there in my tour bus after I played a show and watching my favorite show and my song being played on it, it was unbelievable. I'm a creepy robot who can mimic the emotions of real humans. Drew Barrymore will play a chihuahua in the new Beverly Hills Chihuahua movie. Uh, Drew Barrymore said, uh, Chloe, that's the dog's name, learns a few lessons along the way. She's a Beverly Hills Chihuahua. She's a very privileged little girl, and she goes on an adventure, and she becomes aware of who she is and, and what should be important to her, and things are sort of at face value in her world, and I think she goes deeper and figures a lot of stuff out about life and what's important. I have two questions. One, what was the last movie Drew Barrymore made that wasn't bad? They've all been bad. Well, but see, if you go back far enough, she was like a four-year-old standing next to an alien, and that was okay. I liked her in Fever Pitch. See, I know, you see Fever Pitch, which I haven't seen. Uh, and I, so I know that I've heard mixed reviews of that, but that's largely people who are like, not as good as the book, you know, whatever. It's, it's a completely different, it's different. culture. Uh, so I hear that she's good in that. I, I'm trying and to she's think. She's also coming out with, um, she's going to be in, he's just not that into you. 
I see. Uh, I've heard about that. And see, I read, I read, I skimmed uh, that book while standing in Powell's at one point, uh, which is sort of interesting because that's a nonfiction book they're making into a fiction movie, which is like with, with, with Fast Food Nation, which is sort of strange. Uh, but I'm trying to remember, like, the last movie I saw her in, and I didn't see Fever Pitch, where I wasn't just the whole time thinking to myself, and this leads into question two, which is, how is it that Drew Barrymore somehow became a player in Hollywood? She does seem to be on some level a power broker in that town, and I wonder how it's not because and it's not because of John Barrymore. So I wonder how it is that that came to be. She's done a nifty little trick. I mean, God love her; it's a hard industry, but she's she's pulled this uh, nifty stunt of going from some nine-year-old lush, you know, mainlining heroin in a sewer somewhere, to now being somebody who seems to be making a big chunk of money and does wield a fair amount of influence in Hollywood. I wonder how she did that. It was like overnight she morphed from washed up. To somebody who is really a you know a broker of influence in Hollywood. So. She wasn't bad in any. But I don't know. I really liked your brain more. She wasn't bad in any of like the Charlie's Angels movies. Yeah, I suppose she was terrible. You know what she was bad in was uh, music and lyrics. That was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Music and lyrics is a terrible, terrible film without any redeeming qualities at all. Not even Hugh Grant, who I usually like. It was we were Laura and I were on vacation in San Diego, and I can't remember what I wanted to see. Something of quality. There was some film playing that. Uh, seemed like it had some sort of. I think it might have been Zodiac. And I'm like, hey, let's see Zodiac. It's this, you know. And I guess maybe that's more of a guy thing. But I'm like, let's see the serial killer film. She's like, no, no, no. Let's see music and lyrics. And we were on vacation, and one doesn't wish to cause a squabble. So I said, fine, music and lyrics. It is. Boy, that was just that was 90 minutes of feeling the Reaper come ever closer. Uh, let's see. Uh, hi, uh, you're listening, by the way, to CBS radio station KCMD Portland. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hi, Rick. Hey. You know, now, with Sarah Palin having a journalism degree, does that give Sarah X. Dillon the qualifications to become vice president of the United States? Yes, it does, sir. Oh, my gosh. You know, but, hey, Sarah Palin didn't go to Washington State University, one of the preeminent broadcasting schools in the country. Is this whole call just because... Are you trying to be a dick, or are you trying to be funny? <laughs> well, see, no, oh, I... I'm not trying to be either. I'm not trying to be either. I was uh... going to ask if this call was happening because you didn't know where Sarah lived and so couldn't look in her window at night. You know, Rick, I have to tell you, your your level of knowledge of music is so amazing. To to quote an album uh, by an artist who also happened to record uh, "So I Kissed a Girl," you know, that's amazing. And and the 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 years of uh, you know your knowledge of music is amazing as well. Gotta gotta tell you, let's all love hug. the show. Listen daily, and uh, I do love it. I wasn't trying to be a dick. Sir. No, 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 that's fine. Uh, are you spreading the word about this fine program, sir? Oh, absolutely, every chance I get. When is the last time you spread the word? Uh, the, well, gosh, you know, if I can't remember the last time, but again, every opportunity I get. All right, thank you so much. You call thank us any time, so my much. friend. Will do. Thank you, there you go. Yeah, that Jill Sobule record. Uh, not to keep pushing a record that's like 15 years old, but there's a song in there called uh, Houdini's Box, which is just... Like one of the most heartbreakingly beautiful things ever recorded. Real delicate, kind of a whispery, almost like little girl voice that she has, but it really works on that song. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. How you doing, Hey, what's up? You got you got to give props to the wedding singer. Come on now. There you go. No, that's it. Wedding singer. That's a great film. It really is. And I'm not a big Adam Sandler fan, but that movie works on every level. Okay. Okay. Duly noted. Thank you. All right. Here's Tim Riley. So we're done with the Chihuahua movie. I will say. Every Hispanic actor imaginable gets to play a chihuahua, along with Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> well, that was... Ah, never mind. That joke is too easy. So, Lard and I went to the theater to watch... Uh, Jesus. I go, to the th- I go to the movies so rarely now, because what is the point? Uh, and I don't think... 
Sometimes, Sarah, let me ask you this. How, give or take, how often? Because you saw Choke last night. Yes. Was it good? It was. It was really messed up. What if you're not a fan? Like, what if you haven't read the book? Still a thumbs I haven't up? Read the book. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I have it if you want to read it. No, I, plus I have a really weird thing about choking and like watching him do the choking. <laughs> is really, ugh. Man, can I tell you, I almost I started to choke the other night. You want to hear about it? No. Yes, okay, so I almost started to choke the other day. Really? Yeah. Let's, let's share some, some choking stories right now. Sarah, listen up. Tim, how did you almost choke? On a burrito. Really? Yeah. Were you attempting to eat too much? Were your eyes bigger than your mouth? No, no. The, the potatoes used in the burrito apparently were more than a day old. So they were a little bit more crunchy than your usual potato. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I took my regular small bite. But it wasn't enough to chew up this potato, which got caught in the wrong hole. Oh, man. That's, uh, and so what did you do now? How I was did, in the kitchen. How did it, but, I mean, how did it remedy itself? I just went <laughs> over and over again. What was that, Tim? <laughs> Excellent. And finally, it was dislodged into your mouth. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the, here's the real money question, though. Did you spit it out or did you chew it up and swallow it? Chewed up and swallowed. That's it. right. You paid for that. Well, I'm thrifty. That's what. See, that's what I'm saying. So it was. So the other night I'm eating some carne asada, which is great. Uh, and it was. Uh, you know, we grilled it ourselves. And so I'm chewing it up. And Tim can't relate to this. You know, being a vegan and so forth. You know, but it was. And it was really high quality uh, meat. I'll give you that. I mean, the meat itself was very high quality. But occasionally you do that thing with steak, and I don't know better than this. And I'm chewing it up. And I didn't have a big mouthful. It was. A, I would say like you know, maybe perhaps a small, not a small morsel, but a small mouthful. Mm-hmm. Chewing it up. And I think it's sufficiently chewed. Go to swallow, and then you meat eaters in the house, you know what I'm talking about. When I go to swallow the steak, the carne asada, half of it starts to go down, but then I don't realize this. There's a small steak, like thread, you know, like a small, a small oh, piece of steak, those. connecting it to the piece. So you know what it is? It's like, uh, it's like in a Sylvester Stallone movie, cliffhanger, where they're going up the side of a mountain. One guy starts to fall, but he's roped to all the other guys. And so, so it is. So the one morsel of steak is down my throat. The other morsel still in my mouth, connected by the... And so that I'm walking to the couch, and I'm doing that, like, thing. And Laura's going, are you okay? And then you... The, the choking is the weirdest thing, though, because you do realize that if it were possible to just get... Con- if... Sarah's covering her ears. If it were possible... Hey, don't t- you don't need to like do this to somebody who lives by themselves and eats a lot alone. I don't I don't like talking about the choking thing. All right. Well, let me just finish it by saying uh, we'll move on to a spider story in a minute. Uh, let me just finish it by saying this: that you do realize if you could just kind of get control of yourself, you could open your mouth and go yoink and just pull it out. But of course, you never do that. You're like, what am I going to do? And so Lara says, "Are you okay?" And then I was. I kind of hacked it up and then chewed it up and ate it. So thus ends the choking story. That was spectacular. Do you have any more? No. I could try to give you another story, Tim, but I don't want to choke. Uh, Here's Tim Riley. Well, talk about the Wild West. Police say two officers and a suspect went through the plate glass window at a 7-Eleven this morning in a struggle that began after a traffic stop. Officer Rodney Burdock pulls over the Suzuzu Trooper with no license plate at the intersection of Northeast 21st and Northeast Broadway around 10 o'clock this morning. But the driver ignores the cop and walks into the nearby 7-Eleven rather than to stay in the vehicle as he was told. After another officer arrived as backup, the two officers enter the store, arrest the guy as trickle begins. The two officers had to use a stun gun on this guy. It had little effect, and at some point, the three ended up going through the plate glass window at 7-Eleven. Eventually, they arrested him. Murdoch is a seven-year veteran of the force. He has several cuts to his hand. While Officer Randy Brandt, who's a 19-year-old veteran, has a cut to his forehead that required stitches. 
The driver had a cut on his back and was taken to uh, Portland Adventurous Hospital. And going through that uh, glass at the 7-Eleven is interesting because I don't, uh, I didn't think it was actual glass. I thought it was like uh, plastic or something, you know, sort of like thick plexiglass kind of material. They'll learn next time. The guy arrested is James Raymond Lewis. Expected to be charged with looting, failure to obey a police officer, resisting arrest, assaulting a public safety officer. He also had an outstanding felony warrant. Outstanding. He'll also be charged with being a dick. Uh, here's the thing about this. Have you ever noticed in movies, no one in movies ever has that glass that exists everywhere in the real world where, like, it crumbles into small, harmless pieces? You know, like your window gets busted out in your car or something. It's just like tiny little, you know, it looks like little rock candy or something. In, in movies, nobody ever has that. Every single car in the movie, you punch it, psh, shatters everywhere. Mm -hmm. So the movies are a dangerous place to live. They really are. Uh, let's see. What do we got here? Um, you know, strangely enough, 7-Eleven just sent me an unsolicited thing asking if we want to interview them about something. 7-Eleven? 7-Eleven. Oh, I guess they're doing that raise your cups thing. You know, raise where you go cups? and you, Yeah, they do it every now and again where you go and you buy a coffee cup. You know, when you get your cup of coffee or whatever, uh, and then, it, but the thing is, there's one cup that says, like, you know, one cup that's blue and one cup that's red, and so you choose the cup based on who you're going to vote for. So, uh, here's uh, all caps, Rick, you are killing the dream. You are convinced that Sarah Palin is a good speaker, and you, oh, and you like Hugh Jackman. Did I say that I like Hugh Jackman? <laughs> not recently. If you did, I don't remember. Hey, listener, someone's going crazy, and it's not me. Well, it could have been more than 24 hours ago, so he may be right. Hugh Jackman, who played Wolverine? So it's Sarah Palin and Hugh Jackman? I mean, I guess... Uh, I mean, how big is this Ackman? Hugh Jackman. Uh, I, I don't dislike Hugh Jackman. I mean, I, I guess I'm indifferent to him. I think you're confusing me with somebody else. Um, so I don't think I've ever really commented on Hugh Jackman. But he says, uh, I've been listening to you and loving you for years. Now you are pulling out the rug from underneath me. I still love Tim, and then all caps, Sarah, maybe you should join Scotty J as an ex-cast member. All right. What? Oh, so you're making everybody crazy. You know, what? whatever. I, I'm not saying that she's a good speaker in sort of, like, objective terms. So people need to really understand this. Yeah, I'm not saying that Sarah Palin is a good speaker. I'm saying that Sarah Palin is an effective speaker. Because you know what? All Sarah Palin has to do at this point is to, A, not blow it. Because everybody keeps saying, she's terrible. It's going to be the worst clock cleaning that's ever happened. And all she has to do is just not suck. And frankly, she's already got like 40% of the country in the bag anyway. Right. Just like Obama has got 40% of the She's Josephine Sixpack. That's exactly. Is it What works better, Jane Sixpack? Well, if it's Joe and Josephine, I think that sounds better. It's more. Joe and Josephine Sixpack. So... You know, but as we've talked about this a lot, that we do live in, it's become such a cliche now, but it's true that we have such a polarized society. Uh, there is nothing, there is not one single thing that could happen that would make my wife vote for McCain and Palin at this point. And I don't mean to be dogging on my wife when she's not listening. I'm, I don't mean to say that she's narrow-minded, but I will say on this issue, she is closed-minded. There's nothing, it's done. The decision is made for her. I mean, John McCain could literally walk across water tomorrow he could be the literal second coming of Jesus Christ. He could just pull off his John McCain mask and go, Aha! It was me, Jesus, the whole time. Wouldn't matter. He could come to our house and, uh, you know, uh, and, and make us dinner and clone one of our dogs. And my wife would not vote for John McCain. She is closed-minded about this. Just like my in-laws would not vote for Barack Obama if you put a gun to their kidneys. So Americans don't care. They've already made up their mind. So all Sarah Palin has to do is not suck. Uh, and try to get any tiny amount of that little indecided slice in the middle, which she could probably do because, again, she's an effective speaker. 
You know, she you know she says stuff that sort of sounds good unless you look at it really closely. So that that really is all it takes in this uh, fading republic of ours. Here's Tim Riley. Here's a Bush watch. Excellent. Here's your Bush watch for uh, what is this Wednesday? I guess so. You know, all week long I keep thinking it's Friday. Monday I thought it was Friday. Yesterday I thought it was Friday. Today I think it's Friday. You know what it is? The Friday. Is kind of in charge. You've got the whole country saying, that's my bush. Life is hard. That's the price of fame. When you're president, everyone knows your name. Hey, what's that there? Yeah. It's my bush. I can't believe he's actually in the White House. That's a man. That's my bush. Barack Obama maintains an advantage on the economy, especially economic empathy. And he's uh, cracking majority acceptance on his key challenge experience. But the political center remains unrooted, keeping John McCain in the race. Movement continues among independents, swing voters, and a highly changeable group is uh, coming up to defy all odds. Swing voters are the ones who gather in uh, beer halls late at night to dance in defiance of the Nazis. Mm -hmm. They favor McCain by 10% immediately after the Republican convention. Swung to Obama last week and now stand at a close division between the two. 48% for McCain, 45% for Obama, the latest ABC Washington Post poll. Preferences among likely voters overall is 50 to 46%. Obama-McCain, a bit closer. The race between them is up for grabs as long as movables, independents, and others less rooted in partisan allegiance remain swayed by either candidate. So is there a thing in there? I, I know I handed that to you as a Bush watcher. Is there something there about Bush's approval rating? Yes. All right. Uh, Bush's disapproval rating is the highest in history. Just two presidents had lower approval, Richard Nixon and Harry Truman. None had higher disapproval ratings since 1938. Okay. Let me just say this. Do you think if you were George Bush at this point, just for your own amusement, for, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, whatever, just for grins, wouldn't you try to be running up the score the other way? I mean, let's like, try to get it down to nothing. His approval rating is, what, like nine or something? Yeah. Man, how hard could be? He's got another, what, October, November? He's got three months. Just try to get it down to absolute zero. I mean, what does he care at this A point? record 70% of Americans disapprove of his job performance. I bet he could get that down to at least, like, two or something within just a few weeks. I mean, you know, maybe he should just, uh, I don't know, bomb Cleveland or something and just say, like, they get on television and go, what do you think of that? Come on. I mean, you know, sort of an inverse, you know, raising the tally. Because at this point, he's going to remember it, I think, probably unfavorably. They may remember his last uh, you know, few months in office as being sort of mediocre. This way, at least, he would have such a low approval rating that it almost kind of it enters some sort of bizarro slingshot around the sun realm where he becomes kind of great again. You know, where he started out with like an 85% approval rating, get it down to nothing, zero. He should try to go out with every single person in the country hating him. It's like my whole thing of... Uh, uh, it's like my whole thing of, like, right before I die, I'm just going to try to max out every one of my credit cards. I'm going to try to use up every single dollar of credit I have before I die. F them. What are they going to do? You know, they can go to hell. Henry Rollins also has this thing that is sort of, I don't know, kind of great in a zen sort of way, because, you know, Henry Rollins is all about being, you know, like Spartan-focused man. Rollins had this great little thing he said one time about how the closer he gets to death, he's going to start giving away his money, giving away his possessions. He's going to, you know, he'll he'll be in some small house where he lives. And he said... It's so beautiful in a weird way. We're going to be talking to Henry uh, next week, I think, uh, and giving away tickets because it is October. So he has this great thing. He says where wit, as he's laying in his hospital bed about to die, his last act, this is so great, will be to hit the reformat button on his uh, on his laptop computer. And as he dies, his uh, laptop will reformat itself and erase everything, and he will leave the world having you know with, with losing everything. He will leave the world with 
Nothing. He will have gotten rid of every single trace, and the last act will be added to wipe his computer before he dies, which I like. It's sort of, yeah, sort of appealing in a weird kind of Buddhist sort of way. So I think Bush ought to do it, too. You know, he's like, from now on, he ought to get on television and go, that my mission before the end of my presidency is to make sure that I am disliked by every man, woman, and child, and that my approval rating is at zero. And just, you know, get cracking on it. I mean, what else is he going to do? Sit around and play Yahtzee for the next three months? Nothing. So, is that the Bush Watch? That is the Bush Watch. There you go, it's your Bush Watch. He's the president in residence. He's kind of in charge. He's got the whole country staying. That's my This email says, Sarah Palin has successfully lowered the bar. I wasn't sure it was possible to have the bar lower than where George Bush said it, but Sarah Palin has found a way. The entire strategy thus far has been to play the expectations game. If she shows up, looks cute, and comes across as one of us, and by one of us, I mean a 40-something woman from Albuquerque. Just saying. All right. Uh, well, let me just do these notes from last night. This seems like a good place to do it. What happened last night? Uh, well, you know, we were talking about the Katie Kirk, Sarah Palin thing. Oh, okay. You know, it's funny, and I think, let me ask you guys if it's the same thing. Do you find, because Chris Paddock dropped by the studio, and he was, you know, he's like, hey, how about that Sarah Palin? I do agree with something they said, which is that this might be the most watched vice presidential debate uh, ever, regardless of one's partisanship, because they said, they said it all stems from, and this is a really, I think, a, a good way to put this. They said all of the excitement about uh, tomorrow's vice presidential debate, which will be carried live here with running commentary from Tim Riley, myself, and Storm Large, they said it all comes from the public's fascination with Sarah Palin. And that's exactly the way to put it. Like, even Sarah, who clearly despises her, you're fascinated by her in a horrible Absolutely. way. Absolutely. There's, there's nothing that can drag me away from the TV yeah. tomorrow night. She is a compelling figure. There's just no getting around that. And anybody who says differently is just lying to you. Uh, so it, everybody is fascinated by her. So that's why we talk about it. And do you guys find that everywhere you go, it was the economy for a few days, but that at least is not getting any worse. It's just sort of in a holding pattern. Do you find that everywhere you go, this debate tomorrow is what people are talking about? I would say it's very close to the economy, yes. I mean, it's. It, I mean, I walked into the office this morning, and I between the front door and the door of my office, I probably stopped by three different people. And they're like, hey, how's it going? Fine. Blah, blah, blah. And it was either, did you see Sarah Palin last night? Or Susan Reynolds, she didn't even wait for me to get my office. She came out of her office. So are you excited for tomorrow? I mean, she's like, she's getting ready to, like, make Jiffy Pop or something for it. Uh, let's see. So here's just a uh, a few notes from last night. Uh, let's see. Note to myself, 935. I got to get one of those little, like, dick belt things. Do they make them anymore? No. To give it to your gal Friday to type out things? That's right. Now I have a girl for that, Tim. Uh, so I made this note to myself, 935 last night, I guess, while watching, um, this might have been, like, the second or third time that she claimed to, quote, read everything on Earth. Like some sort of a microfiche download into her brain. Um... I was talking with Laura, and I said the same thing to Laura that I said to uh, that I said to Sarah. I said, I said I'm so torn about this, because on the one hand, you don't want some smooth-brained nitwit in there. On the other hand, you know, it is so much material. I mean, it is so much material for the next four, maybe eight years. I mean, that's the gift that will give to us every day. Uh, and and I wrote down to myself, and I thought we'd never get another George W. Bush, because that's really what she is, right? That's that's it. I mean, do you remember thinking to yourself, like, boy, George Bush is the most comedic potential of any president. We will never match him. I remember lamenting on this program just a few months ago, saying, like, man, I'm going to miss George Bush when he's gone. Who are we going to make fun of? There's not going to be any, the, the, the next person, McCain, Obama. You won't be able to make fun of anybody like you could make fun of George W. Bush. Prayers might be answered. Uh, because that thing about I read everything, can't you see George W. Bush saying that? You know, what do you read, Mr. President? I read everything. Everything. 
Yeah. Uh, do you really? No, everything that I... People listen to like, all kinds of music. What kind of music do you like? I listen to everything. No one listens to everything. No one plays everything. No one buys everything. No one listens to everything. No one reads everything. So I, I thought we'd never get another W, but, you know, looks like I might have been wrong. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I read all of them. Uh, let's see. What else do I have here? Um, okay, two more notes. Then we'll take some calls. Do a few more uh, headlines. We'll, we'll break. Come at the bottom of the hour. More news. Mr. Skin, Al Petrelli from the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and uh, so forth. Two notes to myself. One at 9.42 p.m. Uh, note to self. I can't imagine how irritating this must be to someone who actually cares about the election. I mean, you know, because like a lot of people, we play that George Carlin thing of the show. Uh, elections really change almost nothing, especially on the national scale. I mean, the more local an election is, the more it matters. In other words, you know, the guy who's going to be your city council person, and the guy who's going to be or an alderman or whatever, you know. Yeah, that, yeah, but that's really predictable here anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's the, you know, the, those elections do kind of matter. The, the smaller and more local you get, really, the more your vote counts, and not just because your vote is a larger percentage of the total vote, is because the smaller the government that they are running, probably the more chance they have to maybe. It makes some kind of positive change, or at least not screw things up so badly. But the larger the election, the bigger the office, uh, the more national it becomes, the less anybody can make any kind of a difference. And Richard Nixon used to talk about this. When Richard Nixon would talk about the system, and he'd say that the system is like this wild animal, and you can't break it, you can't train it. He said the only thing you can really do with the system is to ride it and hope that you don't get thrown off and maybe point it in the right direction now and again. I mean, Nixon said that. So there's nothing you can do. You cannot make the system work the way you want it to. Uh, and, you know, and that was a guy who believed and knew all the nuances of power. So anyway, so that being said, so going to November, yeah, as I say, it's just, it's just one big it's just one big sport. That's really all it is. So and, and to quote Jellaby Offer for the thousandth time, you know, if the election really changed anything, they wouldn't let you do it. It'd be illegal. So but even even that, even having my admittedly disengaged uh, viewpoint of this, watching the television last night, and it was like, it really was just like being kicked in the brain over and over again every time she, I would see her brain start to like fire up like a like an emaciated hamster on a wheel trying to come up with some answer to a, a Katie Couric question. And how difficult is it to make Katie Couric look really intelligent? Not difficult at all, as it turns out. Put her in a room with Sarah Palin. So I can't imagine how angering and irritating this must be to somebody who really believes in the the political system still i mean let's say you know to some uh, you're some uh, like air america type this must just be you must be going through my lanta by the case i mean you're some guy who clings to this idea of the two-party system helping you this must just be an excoriate this must be like one big mental acid bath every night that is why here on the rick emerson show we encourage you not to care uh and finally and related to that, I wrote this down to myself. If Sarah Palin wins, uh, because it is all about Sarah Palin at this point, if Sarah Palin wins, I wrote to myself, liberals will either A, crumple up and die forever. They will just finally just, they'll be gone. They'll just go, in a puff of irrelevance, the liberal wing is certainly of the Democratic Party. and Perhaps the Democrat, Democratic Party will just go up and smoke. I mean, their irrelevance will just be solidified once and for all. Did you see that thing after the last election, after 2004? Somebody did a great eBay auction uh, where they were auctioning off Michael Moore's importance after oh. For, oh, for, a, for a dollar. After Bush won. You know, it was a that Fahrenheit 9-11 thing, which Michael Moore, God love him. God, you talk about a guy who got so full of himself at a certain point. And he actually marketed, he marketed his film and I think the book to the Dude Words of My Country as the what did he call it? The uh, the administration-ending bestseller. 
that was a poorly chosen market. That was a guy, in poker terms, Michael Moore went all in against George W. Bush, and he lost. And as soon as George Bush uh, was reelected, somebody on eBay was selling off Michael Moore's uh, importance for a dollar. So if Sarah Palin wins, uh, liberalism will do one of two things. It will either just crumple up and blow away in a puff of uh, unimportance, or B... All of those, like the hardcore, like the, the sort of real, like ingrained, embedded liberals, they'll just go crazy. I mean, they'll just go nuts. They'll just, they'll run into the streets naked and begin turning over cars. I, don't, I mean, it, in a, and I have to say this, in a, in a really perverse way, there's a part of me, the same part that wants to just consistently root against this bailout so I can see if the whole system just wrecks. Um, the, the same part that likes it when the Joker just sets fire to a big billion-dollar pile of mob money because you just like to see stuff burn. There is some, there is some dark, like reptile brain part of me, some dark nihilistic streak in my head, uh, some dark prowling id facet of my economy, of my economy, of my uh, of my uh, intellect that wants to see Sarah Palin win. Just so I can see what kind of a breakdown everybody on the left has. No. Just to watch, just to see if they completely fall apart once and for all. I mean, really, it, because it, they're like a they're like a shaky car with one wheel missing at this point. And I get the feeling all it would take is for Sarah Palin to be put into office to just like hear about forty eight percent of the American electorate go. Bam! And then just, like, rush out into the streets with pitchforks, covering themselves in peanut butter, and then jumping off a cliff into the ocean. To just go completely and totally nuts, once and for all. I mean, it might be worth it just for that. So, I just like the spectacle. Let's do a couple more with uh, Tim Riley, then he's calls, then we'll break. Okay, we have some breaking news from Los Angeles. Wait, hold on. Damn, I wasn't ready. Damn, damn. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Wait, wait. Wait. Breaking news from Los Angeles. Serious stuff here. Oh. Federal investigators say the engineer that Metrolink commuter train sent the text message 22 seconds before that collision. That's 22 seconds before the collision that killed 25 people. The NTSB said that cell phone records of Richard Sanchez said he received a text message a minute and 20 seconds before the crash and sent one a minute later. Now, wonder, I have a question about that. So he sent one a minute after the crash? Was he still alive after this? No, because it was a minute later after the one that was sent a minute and 20 seconds earlier. Okay, so 20 seconds before the crash and one about a minute later. Investigators are looking into whether Sanchez was distracted. I guess he was when he ran that red light. Wait, hold on. So he sent one text message 22 seconds before the collision. 20 seconds before the crash and sent another one a minute later. How is that possible? That's what I'm trying to figure out. So maybe he was still alive? Sarah, are we misreading the yes. story somehow? He, he received a message a minute and 20 seconds before the crash and responded 20 seconds ah, before it crashed. Okay. I see. Okay, so he gets one 90 seconds before the crash, basically. Then a minute later, sends the response, then the crash. Okay. Here's a dumb question, Tim, and maybe you can't speak to this technically, but how did this crash happen? Trains are on... I'm not trying to be flip or make light of this. Trains are on, on the same track. They're on tracks, but I mean... Isn't there somebody, like, what would he have done? Like, you couldn't have stopped anyway. Trains take, I mean, isn't the stopping distance of a fully full-speed train something like a mile and a half? I guess so. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to pass judgment. I don't know. So I'm not an investigator. Went, so when he went too far, too long without knowing something. Isn't there, well, I guess there must not be, like, an air traffic control system. No, they wanted to put something in, but they said it was too much money and it was unreliable. Mm. Well, I mean, so it seems like there's at least two people at fault here. The guy, the other train, the guy in this train... 
And again, I don't even know if you could have stopped in time. I mean, I guess you could have slowed the speed of the collision, though, which would have probably saved some lives. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right, let's do a couple calls here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Hey, I wanted to comment on the excellence that is uh, uh, Drew Barrymore. Okay, uh, go ahead. A, you guys missed the, the one where she's just scorching hot uh, uh, poison ivy. Oh, yeah. Oh. No, I didn't get with you on that. Uh, okay, I'll, wait, I'll no, is that a, wait, hold just, on. Is that Alyssa Milano? No, that's uh, Drew Barrymore. No, no, that's Drew Barrymore. Okay, all right. Drew Barrymore and the the chick from uh, from Roseanne, the the, the daughter Sarah, from Roseanne. Sarah Gilbert. Yeah, and Tom Skerritt is Sarah Gilbert's uh, dad. I love Tom Skerritt. Oh, he's oh. so yeah, he's so ever, sinister. I saw that when I was really young, and he's just creeped me yeah. out. Yeah. You know what? I get confused. I get Poison Ivy, The Crush, and The Babysitter all confused. They're all the same yeah. movie in my head. Yeah. So uh, I also want to comment uh, that choice that your intro yesterday, the choice of uh, the Ben Kingsley speech from, yes. uh, from Sneakers. In light of what's going on, that just killed me. That was a really good choice. I actually can't take credit for that. Uh, although I have, we have played things from Sneakers before. We've played that. It's all about the right. information. A guy, Jeff, called up and he's like, "Hey, uh, he's like, you got to play that speech from Sneakers." And I pulled it and played it. But you know, but you're right. It is so, it is so dead on. I played it for my wife last night, and my wife said. When did that movie come out? And I said ninety two, and she goes, "That is just creepy." Yeah, yeah, it is. Couple, uh, yeah, go ahead. A couple other things about Drew Barrymore. I, I'll watch anything that she's in, even if it's just really bad. She's just cute as a button. I mean, I, I've watched like Ever After, you know, that Cinderella movie, like twice <clears> last lame. week. Oh, it's a good movie. Do you find it we, hard to be uh, attracted to her though, because we all remember her being like six years old? No, no. I, 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 when I think of her, I think of her an adult, and she's just cute. All right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. All right. all right. Thank you, my friend. All right, there you go. Uh, one more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, I was just going to let you know, uh, Sarah turned into Liz Lemon from 30 Rock a couple minutes ago. Yes, yeah, she did, with the uh, fear of choking. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would have thought your worst fear would be choking to death alone in your apartment. Yeah, and then being eaten by dogs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bridget Jones style. Right. Yeah, oh, um, one other thing, uh, Duckman is now out on DVD. Dude, McRib is back. I saw that the other day. I didn't have time to buy it because uh, I was doing a thing. I was uh, I was at Lloyd Center Mall, and my wife and I were walking along. And I will just uh, I, I, I'll put it this way: um, I was walking by. I'll just I mean I'll just say it because I didn't buy anything there because of course I am uh, like everyone should be. I am loyal to Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing. But I will say I was walking uh, through Lloyd Center, walking in, and we walked by that big window of the Barnes and Noble, and they had you know the window display where it's the DVDs, and I walk by, and I literally did the you know whoop, double take. I went like, wait, hold on, and I literally walked backward in place, and I put my nose up against the glass like a dog at a meat store window, and I said, we have to go in. And I went and I looked, and yeah, you're at the first, either the first or the first two seasons? It's either the first two or the first three all in one set. The Duckman, which is one of the great all-time series, never really got the attention it deserved, sort of a, an animated Arrested Development in that sense, starring, of course, Jason Alexander from Seinfeld. Uh, and he was actually doing it the same time he was doing Seinfeld. A great, great series, and I, I wondered forever when it was going to come out, and then it caught me by surprise the other day. I'm so, did you buy it? I haven't yet. Uh, me either. I'm going to wait, and I'm going to buy it uh, at some other point, but it's got a bunch of commentaries. It's got, you know, that's just a, that, uh, Duckman is really one of the one of the great things that came out of the late 20th century in terms of entertainment. I'm so glad you're with me on that, sir. Indeed. You are a I good remember, person. Uh, I remember flipping past the channels and, and uh 
thing. It's like, what the hell is this? Me too. That was my same thing. That, that, because it was on USA back before USA had Monk or the Dead Zone or any, you know, USA, people don't remember this, but USA Today, USA, Today, USA used to be just the, just the most low-rent shoestring network. Oh, it was the trashiest network. That's the network that had silk stockings. Yeah, exactly. It was so trash. Also, Models, Inc. Models, Models dude. Models, Inc. And the, and the Saturday Morning Cartoon Express. And it, it was just all... Rema- you know what it is? It was like some sort of television head cheese, where it was just remainders and leavings and bits and scraps all crammed together because they couldn't afford real programming. And, of course, they not only couldn't they couldn't afford real programming, when they got real programming, they couldn't afford to promote it. And so people would just find it, as they did with this show for a long time. They would find it by accident because there's no advertising for it. So they would find it, and like with this show, they would go, what the hell is this? And I remember watching Duckman at, I don't know, 1 in the morning and thinking to myself, how is it? How did somebody put this on the air? Kind of breaks your brain. Yeah, so good for you, sir. Thank you so much for, uh, for mentioning that. I wanted to remind people to go buy Duckman on DVD. Have a good one. You too, sir. Thank you. All right, there you go. Well done. Let's do one more and we'll take a break. One more, you say? One more, Tim. Well, this is kind of a ribticular. With a winning bid of just $1.75, a Chicago woman has won an auction for an abandoned house in Saginaw. Who wouldn't want to live there? She's Joanne Smith. Recently was a top bidder for the home during an auction on eBay. Her bid was one of eight for the home. I'm going to try to sell it, she said. I don't have any plans to move to Saginaw. Smith says she hadn't seen the property or visited Saginaw, which has been hard hit by economic trouble in recent years. There's a notice on the door of the home saying a foreclosure hearing is pending. She must pay $850 in back taxes and clean up the yard. Saginaw News said it hasn't reached the seller, which is an investment company. So $1.75 for the house? Yes, it's true. Is it true that Whoopi Goldberg has no eyebrows? Yeah. Really? I've Isn't never looked that close. Well, but I thought that was because she was guy. I thought it was like a sci-fi thing. But I'm not talking about Guinan. I mean, does Whoopi Goldberg have no eyebrows? Yeah, she, she never has had eyebrows. In Ghost, she didn't have eyebrows. The girl with no eyebrows. <laughs> a lifetime movie. Why? Is that a stylistic choice, or was she born with some sort of facial alopecia? It was God's decision. God didn't want Ask her to have Sarah eyebrows. Sarah Palin, why Whoopi Goldberg doesn't have eyebrows. You know, stem cells could cure that, Tim, if only, only the Republicans would let us do it. Is that... Like, part of how she's, like, kooky? You know, like, look at me! She's not kooky. I remember her and boys on the side, she didn't have eyebrows either. Well, but it's like, you know, look, I, I don't mean, think it, she shaves them. It just doesn't look like they're there. Everybody does this, you know, in, in show business, but it's like giving yourself the name of Whoopi Goldberg. When her real name is Karen Johnson, is it not? Something like that. Yeah, so, I mean, look, have eyebrows, don't have eyebrows. I don't care. I just never noticed. Too, it, she didn't have eyebrows. Well, it just reminds me of a Whoopi cushion. Uh, anyway, this guy, that's part of a larger email, he says, Once I noticed Drew Barrymore only talks out of the side of her mouth, I could st- I could no longer watch her movies. I have heard that. People yeah. always say that. I've never noticed that. Yeah, he says, just like when I noticed Wobby Goldberg has no eyebrows, now I can't watch her. Oh, that's, that's your boggle, sir. All right, let's take a break. We come back uh, for uh, those who are... Uh... Well, never mind. I was going to go a whole different way with that. We're going to talk about boobs. Uh, we come back, we'll talk to Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com, boobologist. Uh, later on, Al Petrelli from the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. More from Tim Riley, Court's Top 5 Teenage Angst Songs, and more.
is the Rick Emerson radio program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Uh, well, there you go. Well, that is the very definition, I was going to say, of a modern classic, also an instant classic. Uh, that is the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, or Sabotage, depending on how you look at it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that is Christmas Eve, Sarajevo 12, 24, which came out on a Sabotage album, Dead Winter Dead. And there's a whole, in just a moment, we're going to talk to Al Petrelli, who uh, plays guitar with uh, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. They're going to be performing at the Rose Garden, Portland, Oregon, Sunday, November 9th, 3 p.m. Uh, and 7.30 p.m. They're going to be doing two shows, and uh, we will talk more about that in just a moment. So let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, guitarist extraordinaire, the one and only Al Petrelli. Hello, sir. Ooh, I like how you introduced me, Rick. Thanks so much. Hey, I have to tell you, uh, so I can just sort of get this out of the way, you have... Uh, you are a thread that is woven uh, through the rock tapestry in all kinds of different ways, and in a lot of ways that people know about, some of your high-profile uh, stints and gigs and performances and recordings, and in other ways that uh, you know you were sort of there doing your thing in the background and really contributing great guitar work, but where people may not have even you know known it was you unless they were you know going to open it up and look through the liner notes. Um, so obviously, Trans Siberian Orchestra is a it's a it's a huge thing. I have to tell you. Um, I remember when the Sabotage album, Dead Winter Dead, came out. And Winter 95, yeah. Winter 95. And, you know, it's a great record and you know, very solid, a lot of great songs on there. And then there was this one track that everybody fixated on. They went, what is that? Where did, you know, and I remember being in a production room at a rock radio station and playing that song, Christmas Eve, Sarajevo, 1224. And one of the only times this ever happened... People would walk by the studio, and they would go, what is this? What are you listening to? And yeah. I'd say, i hold it up and go, look at this. And it, it struck such a chord with people that it did become a real instant classic, and then obviously led to the formation of the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And you guys are now, in the very best way, you guys are an institution. I mean, you guys were just as you did. You were doing 140 concerts in 90 cities over nine weeks. In 66 days. I mean, that is, it's just amazing. It's um, you know, pretty crazy, right? Yeah, I mean, five million records. Uh, you, the, the songs are all over the radio. So, anyway, so what? It, it really well, first is. Of all, let me thank you for all the kind words you yeah. just said. That means the world to me. And this is something that, that was started up, you know, 13 years ago, um, and it was done for the love of the art, for the love of the music. It was a vision Paul O'Neill had. And the fact that you and I are having this conversation, you know, more than a dozen years later, just means the world to me that it has become an institution in people's um, holiday tradition. And not only that, it's just really, really good music that folks gravitated towards. And it's uh, the one word that I was use, I would use to describe Trans-Siberian Orchestra is magical. There's a real sense of magic in that music. Well, I'm glad you didn't say Russian. Magic is much better. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, uh, I, I like to go for the high-hanging fruit. You know what? Um, magic or, or lightning strikes or, or whatever um, analogy you want to use, there's something that happens every so often in a musician's life that if you're sitting around what we call the kitchen table at Paul's house in New York City, um, it, it just seemed that all the ideas we were throwing together seemed to fit on a musical level, on an artistic level. It was just like, this is really, really cool. This is really deep. We drew from all our individual backgrounds and collectively created something that didn't exist before. Now, that was the end of it as far as I was concerned. I looked at Paul and I said, this is going to be fabulous, but, you know, 1996, listen to radio now. Nobody's playing anything like this. Right. You know, and again, like you said earlier in the introduction, I've been very fortunate to have a really uh, varied career. I've played with a lot of people many people have heard of, and i played with a lot of people that I don't talk about, which I did for the money, by the way. Good um, for you. <laughs> i got to make a living. 
But with my background, which was very diverse, and with uh, Paul O'Neill and John O'Leaver and Bob Kinkle, the four of us just kind of sat around throwing these ideas together for the sake of the song, not for the sake of any commercial appeal, not for the sake of anything other than Paul's vision. And the fact that the American people got it is just a testament to the honesty of, of this record that we created. Do you guys ever uh, – two questions. One – what is the when you you're out there with the Trans Siberian Orchestra and you're playing and you guys are you know creating this very sort of over the top and again in the best way this very immersive kind of stage show and all of this how different is the vibe for you as a musician from you know when you're you know I don't know you're you're out there and you're playing with uh, you know Alice Cooper or Megadeth or somebody. Well, I'm 46 years old now. 20 years ago, um, it may have seemed a bit different. I think that I appreciate it a lot more because my career has been a roller coaster to say the least. I mean, playing with Alice Cooper, being his musical director back in 89 was my first real rodeo. I mean, our first show uh, with, with that was, I think, Wembley Arena over in London. Now, you know, prior to that, I was banging around the clubs in the right. New York tri-state area. So all of a sudden, here I am on deck, and Jimmy Page is in the audience, or Ozzy's in the audience. And, I, you know, you start kind of feeding into your own hype a little bit. You know, it's 20 years ago. Now I've learned to savor the moment. I mean, my wife is the piano player on stage with us. I mean, guys in the band, we go back 25, 26 years together. So it's more of a sense of, you know, old school family up there. Uh, we've learned not to take this for granted and certainly not to take it too serious because, you know, you know, we're not privileged to do this. We're blessed to do this. And the fact that we're going on our 10th consecutive year touring and thrilled to, come, thrilled to death to come back through Portland because Portland was the first room that we went from a theater to an arena. I mean, the Rose Garden is a very right. special building for us. Um, it's special every day. I mean, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I mean, a musician's career is kind of like an NFL, you know, a football player. You know, you got three or four good years in your 20s, and then you go to work at Home Depot. Uh, you know, I mean, here I am, you know, approaching 50, right. and I've helped create something that I've watched you grow from infancy to, you know, teenage, adolescence. And it's just wonderful to be part of it, and I thank, you know, the Almighty every day to, to allow us to continue. You guys have done a, a lot of stuff, obviously, with the holiday-themed stuff, Christmas stuff, and then you know, other things. There's uh, Beethoven's Last Night. And you, do you ever, kind of, as you sit around the kitchen table, do you ever sit down and you go, look, I, I think we are out of Christmas songs. We're done. This <laughs> we, we are out of songs that we can put a cello and a guitar behind. I, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Did Burl Ives, anybody? I mean, do you ever feel like you're going to run out? No, I don't think so. Um, that's the genius uh, behind my boss. You know, Paul is my best friend. He's also the twitch in my left eye. Just when I think that it can't get any zanier with him, he pulls another wild card out of the deck, and I go, man, thank God you're running this ship because I ran of ideas 10 years ago. You know, Paul's constantly pushing the boundaries. He's so well-versed in classical music and in gospel and in, in chorale music, obviously in rock and roll and heavy metal as we all are. Yeah. You know, but Paul's really in touch with, with just themes that, you know, um, People who normally listen to classical music will say, oh, I, I know that theme, and, and right. you know, put, put an arrangement around it. I mean, that's the genius behind it. I mean, Carol of the Bells has been around for God knows how many years, and he'd been sitting on this arrangement for a while until the timing just came right, and he and I were in close proximity, like you had said earlier, we were working on the Sabotage record, and he put the faders up on Christmas Eve Sarajevo, and I immediately got it, just like you had said. You know, the story behind it, I mean, I had spent uh, a summer in Zagreb and Belgrade in Yugoslavia before the war in 1990, and I made a lot of friends over there. When Paul explained the story five years later about the Dead Winter Dead album, I could relate to it immediately. And it was just a certain magic, a certain lightning strike that occurred with that track. And you, and you really hit upon something there, that Carol of the Bells is probably the most obvious example. But it, you know, that song's been around forever, and it it is sort of astounding that before that no one had ever gone, wait a minute, wait a minute, what if we make this song really loud? And no one had really done it that way, but then as soon as you heard it, you went, you can't imagine it any other way. Right. They, they, you said, like, this is what the song, I mean, and not to disparage any other arrangement of any kind of song, but of you course. went, this, is, this song has been waiting for this arrangement. 
it's it's the brilliance behind good producers. Um, a good producer's role, in my opinion, and, and Paul will agree with me on this, is that you get the best out of the people you surround yourself with. And he had a pretty good team around him from you know several different musical backgrounds. So when he put up the skeleton of that track, I mean, it, it comes out real bombastic. But there's there's a certain intimacy and a certain uh, serenity that occur in the middle of that song, where you can almost see the angst that, that's going on in this cellist's face as the bombs are being dropped over what was then Yugoslavia. I mean, it's such a passionate piece of music. Even my ex-wife loves it, and she hates me but loves the song. <laughs> uh, you can't ask for more than that. Trans-Siberian Orchestra, uh, Rose Garden, Portland, Oregon, Sunday. I keep saying Oregon as though I don't know where it is. Uh, Portland, Sunday, November 9th, 3 p.m., 7.30 p.m. We're talking to Al Petrelli, a guitarist extraordinaire. A couple uh, questions before we sort of wrap this up. Um, you know, obviously, you played with Alice Cooper. Uh, your live recordings are on that, on that Classics uh, compilation, played with Megadeth. When you look back, you mentioned being on stage and the Jimmy Page in the audience. What are, you know, maybe another moment or two when you when you kind of had a moment outside yourself and you looked down and you went, this is really cool. I can't believe I'm here. Um, I would say almost every moment on stage, um, I look over my left shoulder and I see my wife smiling. You know, she's banging on the piano. Right. Uh, every so often, you know, my grandmother will come to a show. Um, you know, th that's really important. I, I think lately um, the most poignant moments have been where um, – We'll, we'll see, you know, like a young kid in the audience one year, and then the next year he'll come back with his mom or his dad. You know, we, I call them right. all repeat offenders. Right. And um, they come back, and we do uh, the big meet and greet after the show. And the kid will come up and say, hey, you know, I was watching you play guitar, so my folks bought me a guitar last year. Or I was watching Anna play the violin, and, right. you know, I got a violin. And all of a sudden I see that kind of spark in their eyes that instead of sitting there playing Garage Band, or whatever you call those stupid video games, you know, Rockstar, whatever right. it is, now they actually have a, an instrument in their hands and they're discovering music, and it, it's just a whole other world that they may have not been exposed to if it weren't for coming to see us play. Uh, metal fans in the audience would kill me if I didn't ask. What, what's next for Sabotage? Uh, uh, <laughs> um, don't know. Uh, I know that we want to put an exclamation point at the end of that wonderful novel. Um, I know that this talk of a record, um, some live shows, but, you know, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra has just right. become, like you had said, just an institution that it takes all of our energies sure. all year long. And um, I know that we want to finish the Nightcastle album, which will be a non-Christmas record, and certainly try to tour Trans-Siberian Orchestra during the spring and the summer. Uh, but Sabotage by no means is over. I mean, there's certainly a few more things to be said and recorded, and, you know, John will leave our nose chomping at the bit to put the right. band back together and go out and do something. So... You know, with, with Paul at the helm, you know, I would certainly think that it's going to happen. I just, I'm never going to give a date because I always get in trouble when I commit to something. All right. As, as we wrap this up, I do have to, by the way, say that you are on one of my favorite records and a record that, uh, a while back I did this list of the top ten, you know, hard rock or metal records or whatever that, that you, you should own that you probably don't. And that has got to be Blood and Bullets by Widowmaker. Oh, thank you. Oh, my God. It's so that, nice to hear. Man, that is a, that is a record that, uh, you know, you were talking about the, the climate came out at probably the wrong time to make a real Absolutely. big splash. But, man, a record that is just one, it is a solidly crafted big rock fist in your face and it uh, it's great so you for your contributions to that alone my friend you are in the pantheon so oh my brother i appreciate that it was so much fun to do that record i mean you know d is a larger than life character and he became one of my dearest friends and you know i learned a lot from him but you you hit it on the head when the timing was all wrong i mean as soon as we finished the mixes on that record uh, is when Kurt Cobain and that whole movement came out, right. and rightfully so, but single-handedly wiped out the hair bands of the 80s. Not that Widowmaker was that, but it certainly kind of 
wasn't allowing us to enter the mainstream any longer. All right, uh, Rose Garden uh, on Sunday, November 9th, 3 p.m. and 7.30 p.m., Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Al Petrelli, thank you so much. Best of continued success, my friend. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much, my friend. I hope to see you at the show, and, and regards to everybody in Portland, can't wait to get home. Excellent. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, Al Petrelli. Richie, can you uh, pick up the phone there and make sure that everything is uh, is cool and dandy and fine? Thank you. All right. Excellent. I have a little music from Sarah Palin, if you want to hear really? it. Really? All right. Well let's, well, let's do that here in just, just a moment. So let me wrap this up. So uh, that was Al Petrelli, Transylvania Orchestra. like a rock star. Well, he's just, I mean, uh, I don't want to go on. You're so cool. But, I mean, he, he's played with everybody. He played with Blue Oyster Cult. He played with Megadeth. He, he played with like Alice King Cooper. He when he was talking. Yeah, you know, but he has a kind of an East Coast vibe to him. And, again, Sabotage, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, who are now an institution. So uh, it's just a guy who's done everything with everybody. Uh, how long has this clipped him? Uh, well, we can make it as long as you want. It's Sarah Palin performing during the talent competition of Miss Alaska in 1984. Okay, so give me just, let's do that here in just one moment. I, uh, through nobody's fault but mine, as Robert Plant would say, don't call, you're not winning anything. Uh, we've, we've sort of run very behind here, so. Very uh, later. Let us now welcome to the Rick Emerson Show from MrSkin.com, the online celebrity nudity database, uh, a PhD in boobology. He's Mr. Skin. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of behind, I have something to talk about, uh, yeah. There's a movie in theaters opening this weekend called yeah. Appaloosa, which is a Western starring Renee Zellweger. And uh, there is nudity in this. Um, a girl named Ariadne Gill shows breasts at the hour and 29-minute mark. But uh, Renee Zellweger's character shows uh, bare butt in the movie, but my uh, uh, my skin scouts are reporting it's a body double. It is not her. Mm. So uh, her consecutive non-nude movie streak continues, which is a bummer. I, I still say uh, the best place to see her is a movie called Love in a 45. Way back in 1994, before she was famous, uh, you could see her in, in underwear that has some creepage. So you see a lot of butt, but we can't count that as nudity because there was underwear. But uh, don't be fooled. Don't let Appaloosa fool you. That was not uh, Renee Zellweger's butt. Uh, 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 there, is a, there is a movie out uh, this weekend called How to Lose Friends and Alienate People. Uh, there is nudity from a girl named Charlotte Devaney who's topless, but the real big news is Megan Fox has, has a real sexy scene in a bra that people will be talking about uh, when they check it out. She's just so big right now. She's the girl from Transformers. I know she's the number one most requested actress at uh, MrSkin.com for nudity that has yet to be naked, so a bra's a good start hopefully in the coming uh, years and based on some of the interviews she's done lately, I kind of have a feeling Megan Fox will be naked. It's uh, it's going to happen. But uh, uh, the movie's called How to Lose Friends and Alienate People. That opens in theaters this weekend. Uh, Megan Fox in a bra. And uh, finally, I wanted to mention the Blu-ray edition of Knocked Up is in theater or is on DVD this week. And um, of course, uh, Knocked Up has been uh, very very good to me. There is uh, some good nudity. Stormy Daniels and Nautica Thorne do lap dances for Paul. Rudd and Seth Rogen, that is uh, pretty hot stuff. Another girl named Emerson Riley shows brief breasts after an earthquake. But, of course, the highlight happens at the 59-minute mark when uh, MrSkin.com makes a mamio appearance in the movie. And, uh, <laughs> like I said, I can't say enough about uh, what Knocked Up has meant uh, to our website. And uh, the Blu-ray edition is out this week on DVD. Uh, as always, doing the Lord's work, my friend. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, Rick. All right, there you go. Mr. Skin, excellent. Mamio. He has a way of selling that stuff and not sounding too overly creepy. No, that's the thing is, you know, you know what it is because he's just uh, he's upfront about it. He really is an American success story. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hello. Hey. <laughs> I was just calling in because I enjoyed a delicious lunch sitting next to Robert Plant. Oh, are you kidding? 
I am not joking at all. It was amazing. Oh, where, uh, well, uh, well, I guess you can say where. Where was it? It was at the uh, Typhoon on Broadway right downtown. Oh, because that's right next to all the oh. fancy hotels right there. Yeah. So where yep. were you, how far away from you was he? He was literally probably two feet. He was in oh, the chair come on, next come to on. <laughs> Not joking at all. No, I mean, it was towards the end of the meal, so my friend and I had to like make up conversation about Mad Men in order to continue sitting next to him. No offense. Why are you there and I'm here? Oh, come on. Oh. I know. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, I have to. I mean, just the, did he, was he alone? Was he uh, hanging out? Was he reading? He was, to- he was totally alone. He was just about to eat, and he actually looked a little lonely. I felt kind of bad for him. You should have offered to, be, to like, keep him company. If one so gets the chance to keep Robert Plant come, I would do that. If I you saw know, Robert Plant lonely, I'd go up to his room with him. But it's the kind of thing where you don't want to be the jerk who's interrupting him if he's looking to hang out by himself and be like, you're amazing. Uh, uh, so we that didn't is... end up saying anything, but I did gaze longingly into his long, curly mane. I was going to ask, I mean, up close, I mean, obviously, you know, no one stays young forever. Up close, though, does he still have it? Does he still have it? You know, he's got it like romance novel cover has it. Yeah. Like, he's kind of rocking it. It's mostly the hair. Oh, boy. The face is a little weathered. It's mostly the hair. Wow, that is so cool. All right, I am completely envious of you, but thank you so much for calling. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, It's a great show, and have a great day, you guys. You as well. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, come on. Oh, man, that's so great. All right. One gets old and jaded, but, boy, you know, about certain things that just make you kind of go, Oh, ah! Robert Plant. All right. Well, there's nothing else I can say about that. All right. 503-733-2970. Let's break. We'll come back. Our final birth of a salesman semifinalist around the corner. And we'll talk to Court from Rock 101 KUFO, who's got his uh, top five teenage angst moping songs. Am I supposed to do something else today? Probably. Wait. Hold on. Wait. 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 Now I'm just waiting for the post. Back after this Rick Emerson show. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Uh, in just a moment, we'll welcome Jesse, who's the final semi-finalist. That sounds weird. Uh, in the birth of a salesman contest, uh, then Court from Rock 101 KUFO does his top five teenage angst songs. I know what they are, by the way. They're all you hope they are. Uh, we have this all caps. Get to the goddamn Scotty J News. My boss is due back and she doesn't allow radios. Signed, this is his signature, signed, Mike, oppressed black guy in Portland. Presumably oppressed by the boss who, who doesn't allow radios. All right, uh, Sarah, what is our Scotty J news? Uh, Scotty J. Just a little background here, because we wanted to get Scotty to come on and do the suburban perspective, like a special, like how Jolie came back that one time and did a special How Chicks Think return engagement. We wanted Scotty to come in, do a suburban perspective on Sarah Palin, except we, for the longest time, he, we, like he, the calls kept going right to voicemail, didn't answer any MySpace messages, like nobody could find him or anything. So did we finally hear back? Yeah, he wrote me. He said, hi, I'm in Chicago for a realtor sen- seminar. Would love to come in Friday or next week to see everyone. All right. So Let's this Friday? Friday. Friday. Will that be the day after the debate? Yeah. He can give us his thoughts on Sarah Palin. Oh, that'd be genius. Uh, we'll realtor? Be I thought he was in some other different business. Uh, That's a good question, actually, because didn't he leave to sell? He was like a headhunter guy for a software company. Yeah. That's, that's Wonder if that didn't, did. uh, did that not pan out? 
Hmm. Maybe well, maybe uh, he does the the double thing like Tim does, you know, and realty on the side. Uh, that's possible. And also, his wife uh, is a realtor, or was. So maybe they maybe they're like t- teaming up or something. Uh, maybe you'll see they'll be like on the billboard where it's like the two weird faces, not the big <laughs> faces, but you know what I mean. We're like the big huge heads. Yep. And it's like, and I have a question. I'm probably not the first guy to ask, but why always with the the faces on realty billboards? No one else does that. Why do realtors always put their faces up? And people say, well, because they're trustworthy. But I'm saying there's lots of businesses out there. There's a billion types of business. Only realtors do that thing where they put up their face. That's true. My friend Angela's a realtor, and I always, she always sends postcards to me in the mail, and it's like a little picture of a house and then right. big pictures of their faces. Like, why is that? It's, it seems to be a strange uh, – it, it is strangely specific to that one line of work. I don't know. Uh, all right, Richard, can we uh, bring Jesse to the uh, to the studio? That would be fantabulous if we could do that. Where's my uh... – I'm going to find my bed here. And there we go. All right. Actually, I'll put him on this mic here. And clutching a viso. That's what I'm talking about. And wearing shades. Sunglasses in the studio. I like your style, sir. Thank you, sir. Hello, Jesse. How are you? You want to pull up a chair? You want to sit? Stand? I'm dandy. I can stand. Let's both sit. All right. You should sit in the Tina Yather celebrity stool. <laughs> Is that this? I'll, yes. I'll sit in this one right here. It'll be all in the family, but with you and me and... You know, not Carol O'Connor and Warren Stapleton. Anyway, all right. Uh, what visa are you drinking today, Jesse? The straw key. All right. It's uh, old regular. The sunglasses inside. Stylistic choice or astigmatism? Is there uh, something going on with your eyes? No. Are you blind? You can tell me. Just a little uh, I wish. That would be kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be sure to pass your thoughts along to the non-sighted community. Uh, now, can we repeat the conversation we have on all the way? These are your lucky sunglasses? Yeah. Give the code um, word, Jeff. Am I, am I not supposed oh, to say this? Oh, apple juice is great. But there was a long conversation we had with Jesse in the hallway that I get. Maybe we're not supposed to reveal all of that? Is that a uh, thing that we're supposed to be keeping a little bit to ourselves? Possibly. All right. Sorry about that. Okay. Well, never mind. We'll take that out in post. Not really. All right. So, uh, all right. So, uh, are you now? Are you currently working somewhere? Are you between assignments? Yeah, this is my one day off. I, uh, what kind of job do you? I don't say the company, but what kind of job do you? Well, have? I work where you might rent a truck if you're moving. You dash guess it. It's lame. All right. Okay. So that so you are uh, you are so you deal with the public or what? What part of the company you work for? All of it. All right. Do everything. You go out there when some guy comes. He goes. I got this uh, polar bear that's got to be in Maine by tomorrow. Do you have a truck for this? And then you try to find the truck for him? Yes, sir, of course. How can I help you? Let me get your first and last name, all that jazz. See? Look at that. So, what do people ever come in and they just have, I don't know, it's like all kinds of like loose crap they haven't boxed up? You know, like I got, I don't know, I got these 5,000 porcelain knickknacks that I got to get to Anaheim. What do you have? And then you got to like, do you have to help people like, you have to help people pack up their crap, do you? No, I mean, I do. You're not supposed to and you're supposed to charge extra, but... I do anything to make the time go by. There you go. Spoken like a true American worker. Whatever gets me to the end of the day. So, and this is a straw key I said you're drinking right there? Yeah. All right, there you go. Um, and so now, have you now you been doing this for a long time? It's like a recent assignment for you. Well, when I applied for this, I was obviously out of work. Right, right. So, yeah, it's a new So you, new were, be- you were between, uh-oh. You just pull that microphone right back to you there. Just grab it like right here and just, uh, yeah, It'll give just it a good. Right back. Yeah, you have to treat it roughly. Um, so, uh, I'm good at that. So what kind of, so when you deal with the people there, so what kind of problems do you have to solve? Like what do you, what is the, the biggest complaint or maybe the biggest issue some guy comes in, you have to like help him figure it out? Well, nothing seems to be an issue to me. I mean, everybody will complain about the gas and mileage. I'll just change anything on the computer to make them happy and get them out of there. <laughs> It's all about point A to point B yeah, as quickly as possible. If I think you're cool, I'll give you half off. Really? Some guy was wearing a Viso shirt, 
And he never heard your show, which was surprising. Right, right. And he said his friend did the marketing for that, but I gave him half off just for wearing the shirt. You're a good person. We're going to talk after the program, my friend. Well, I don't get paid enough to care. There's... <laughs> I like you more and more with every minute. Uh, that's fantastic. I have something else I was going to ask you, but I don't even know what it was now. Um, well, you know, it's like I had a friend of mine. She was a girl. She worked at the Nintendo Hotline. That like in Seattle, like if you can't get through Zelda or whatever, you call up and like I'm stuck at the bridge with the magic. What's the problem? I always wondered if Zelda? anybody actually called that number. <laughs> what? So like yeah, they do. So uh, what would you have to do? Like in, I don't know, defeating an evil wizard or something. Yeah, like you have to get a bomb and carry it to so a you door. You go through and... all the rooms. You have to figure out how to uh, how to kill all the creatures in one room before moving on to another one. So this yeah, so this girl I knew worked at the Nintendo Hotline, which was a real like you would call up and she'd say like hello, my name is Lyonis there, but my name is uh, Melissa. You know, what's your problem? You go like, I don't know, I'm stuck in this Nintendo room, and it's just a bunch of ogres, and I'm trying to get across the bridge, and I don't know what to do. And they had this whole this whole clock that would start running as soon as they answered the phone. It was like, how quickly can you solve this screaming 12-year-old's problem? And like, like that old McDonald's clock out, outside. Totally, yeah, where it's like the minute you pick it up, it starts running exactly like that, uh, because it was a toll-free number. That's the thing, it's an 800 number, so you got to pay for that if people, you know, some kid's calling up because he can't figure out how to, like, play Kid Icarus or something. So... Uh, and so it was like immediately it started counting. And like if you got to 90 seconds or something and you were still there, it's like a big red light bulb went on. So I'm all about getting the customer, you know, and getting them out. That's a proud part of American business. All right. Uh, if you were to describe, uh, let's say, this radio station as a pizza, what toppings would be on this pizza, Jesse? Your analogy. All right. I, I actually have a perfect pizza for that. Okay. It would probably have to be mushrooms, bacon, Ah, uh, jalapenos and extra tomato sauce. All right. Now, why extra tomato sauce? Because it's got the extra flavor. All right. <laughs> because it doesn't have because it, it has, doesn't have any of that stifling blandness you find elsewhere. It zings. All right. Exactly. Actually. All right. You seem now. Are you a guy who's uh, are you knowledgeable about automotive things? You a not car guy really, at all? Not even in the least. What would you say you are more well versed in? Cars, action films, or 1980s rock? Action film. All right. If this uh, if this radio station were an action film, what action film would this radio station be? Um, Last Action Hero. Really? Because it holds, but nobody really likes it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to assume that there's a compliment buried in there somewhere, like... Like the tasty nougat center of a rancid chocolate. Oh, come chocolate. on. You, you've seen it. You know it's a great movie. And that's, well, see, but that's it's well thing. hidden and nobody appreciates ah, it. Ah, so this is... Okay, so you're saying it's, it is to many people an undiscovered gem. Exactly. All right, now that is true. And I've actually had conversations with people about this before. That I think Last Action Hero was... It's a flawed film, but very ambitious and I think good in a lot of ways. It's a little long for my taste, uh, but, I, but I do believe it got a bad rap when it came out. And I think as the years go on, Last Action Hero... It's probably not ever going to get, you know, people aren't probably going to dig it up because I think Schwarzenegger himself tries to make people forget about it. But I do think you will hear within the next five or six years a guy call Last Action Hero a strong influence on him. You'll hear somebody go to know I was really kind of inspired by Last Action Hero. I do believe that. I really do. All right. If you had to describe uh, this radio program specifically in one sentence, what would it be? Without using Last Action Hero. No, that is a hard one, though. Yes, it is. Somebody says, what's that Rick Emerson show all about? A collage of pop culture mixed with your everyday average Joe thoughts. Joe six-pack thoughts. Oh, what those yeah. are, Sarah Dillon. All right. Excellent. Or Josephine. Or Josephine six-pack. All right. Excellent. All right. 
Uh, so uh, we have been sort of saying this already, but uh, we will be getting back to everybody one way or the other. So thank you. So for I, I got to ask you, you know, yes. just because I'm here and Absolutely. everything was lame between the phone and my riding. So am I like the best of the worst? Or am I like the Sanjaya of this competition? The Sanjaya. <laughs> I was really going to say that you were the William Hung. No, I don't know. Um, well, so we had 100, and then we narrowed it down to, what, 10? And then we had five come in. So your written entry, and I apologize for actually not having it in front of me, but your written entry, there was something you said. There was some line in your written entry, and I cannot for the life remember what it was. You said something. There was only two sentences, so. No, there was not. You said something. There was a phrase or like a little word jewel or something you used in your entry that, that stuck jewel. out. That's what Hunter Thompson would call it. So. I don't know. I think really Sanjay is one of a kind, Jesse. I, think there could I don't be even know what he looks like. I never watched the show. Big, gawky freak. So, all right. I'm glad Jesse, you watch it. Thank, thank you for you. coming in, my friend. I appreciate it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. It's Jesse. Should we break uh, and get court, or should we roll in? Yeah, let's, just, let's, just let's take a break. All right, take a break. We'll come back after this. Court from Rock 101 KUFO presents his top five teen angst moping songs. Uh, later on, Tim Riley and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Well, it looks like a Portland lingerie model is in trouble involved in a traffic stop ride. A jury has decided this 25-year-old lingerie model, her name is Joy Sutton, was trying to bribe a police officer who had stopped her for rolling through a traffic stop and other traffic infractions. The officer testified that Sartin offered him $270. She withdrew from her bra. When he explained her car would be towed because her license had been suspended for drunken driving. Wait, let me understand this. She offered him $270? $270. All right. Dollars? Dollars. To let her go mm-hmm. instead of giving her a ticket. Yeah. All right. Hikers have found personal items that could belong to a missing adventurer named Steve Fawcett in the mountains near Mammoth Lakes. Really? They yeah. find him? Please tell me they found him. No, they haven't. Uh, well, there's still hope. They say the identification cards aren't picture IDs, but bear his name. The cards are described as miscellaneous pilots and or aircraft licenses. Does it, identify, does it say Steve Fawcett, a self-indulgent billionaire with bad sense of decision-making? No. All right. Uh, so let's talk about uh, John Boehner. Apparently he's the big-shot Republican guy on Capitol Hill. He is the House Minority Leader. He thinks the Senate version of this new bill, which they'll vote for at some point today, has a better chance of passing than the last time. Okay, hang on a minute. Let me close the window here. Mr. John? Let's try it now. I do expect the House will take the same package uh, that will include uh, the effort uh, to raise the FDIC insurance and to include the, the Senate passed tax extender package. You know, the guy saying he's going to give you the tax extender package sounds a lot like Eugene Levy in vacation offering you, you know, like the Rally Sport Fun Pack or whatever on the truckster because you ordered it in Antarctic Blue and really you got Metallic P instead. Nobody wants Metallic P and they crushed our other can, a car like a tin can. So, uh, and then he's another guy, though, talking about this raising the FDIC thing to a quarter million dollars. And I understand that maybe you want a safe place to put your money, although, A, Tim, you're a shrewd financial guy. Yes. A, can't you already just do that by putting it in more than one bank, which seems like it ought to be a good idea anyway? Yes. So, why not? That's the other. So the, the, our credit union. Keep in mind, I don't have a quarter million of anything at all. Thoughts, pennies, mm. balls of lint that came out of my navel. I have a quarter million of nothing. Nothing. So I have no real vested interest in this. But, first of all, it, it would seem to me that in light of recent events, maybe you ought not be uh, putting all your money in one bank to begin with, because that could end badly for you. So you ought to be spreading that around anyway. 
Also, as I said earlier, if, if you really feel like you've got to have a quarter million dollars of ready cash laying around, either you are Tony Montana or you just have a – you're another guy with poor decision-making skills. And if you have a quarter million dollars, doesn't it, don't you feel like there's probably someplace better you could be putting that, Tim Riley? Yeah, or I met, believe so. I mean, I understand if you're a business. But they were talking you know, about – Right now is a good time to buy real estate. Is it, Tim? Yes, it is. It's a seller's market. Or I should say a buyer's market. I understand that there are certain neighborhoods in which real estate is probably more, uh, you know, more desirable and probably more affordable. Uh, maybe you can get it on the ground floor, some of those places in St. Yes. John's. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was I saying? Final thought. Wait, wait for it. Oh, and, and and I understand that people are kind of skittish about the stock market right now. But in your estimation, Tim Riley, yes. do we at this point need probably? We don't need to have inducements for people to be putting their money in a bank, but we need inducements for people to put their money back in the stock market. Mm-hmm. Because putting your money into a bank is really going to have less of – it's amazing how much you can learn just by letting the voice of Susie Orman wash over you. And by learn, I mean memorize and then recite back as though I understand it. Uh, but it seems like putting money into the stock market is probably going to do more for the economy than putting money into a bank. You're basically just putting it into a bank so that nothing bad can happen to it, although that's certainly not guaranteed, seeing as how the bank were the, bad, you know, the group of jackasses that lost all this money in the first place. Mm-hmm. So this is there's nothing there's nothing to be gained. I mean, they by can't this. really touch any of the of your own personal money in the bank though. Well, uh, it, stocks is just like basically gambling. I suppose. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I mean, if I had a quarter million dollars, I don't know that I'd be buying anything but Campbell's soup stock at this point uh, either. But by putting it in a bank though is you know just sort of taking it off the market where they're not going to be able to really do a whole lot with it, especially since banks are not going to be lending a lot, right? Mm-hmm. All right, there you go. I'm a genius. All right, let's do one more and we'll roll the top five. Uh, Bill Clinton says he and his wife Hillary are fully behind Barack Obama. Because none of us worked all that hard all through this year to see this election come to naught. We know we have got to change the course of America. Richie pointed out, by the way, that um, I probably do have a quarter million pennies. All right, thank oh, you, I Richie. I thought you probably have a quarter of a million dollars. No, that's that's not true. Uh, did you catch that surreal thing the other day when Richie and Kristen were sitting in the kitchen talking about short selling? Oh, Richie's very knowledgeable about certain things. I'm not saying he's not. It's just uh, Richie is a jewel with many facets, and some of those facets are stinky and covered in 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 hair. You know what I mean? Like he's you know he's no sense of smell and dresses like a woman and talks to himself in a strange voice and has rashes on his junk sometimes and you know. But then he's like in the kitchen with Kristen Bowie. It was like the weirdest thing. So I walk in. So there's Richie, there's Kristen Bowie, and Kristen's miniature dog Chim Chim sitting on her lap, and then they're talking about about bear markets, bull markets, and short selling, and that is the new you and Scotty sitting there talking about real estate, which also used to bend my brain in half. And so I walked into the kitchen, and it was sort of like walking in halfway through some, like, maybe awkward discussion between a couple about their intimate life. I walk in, and, and then I hear Richie and Kristen debating some some tiny point about stagflation, and I kind of looked up and I went, I'm sorry. And then I just backed out and walked down the hall, because there's, like, nothing I can contribute to that. So, All right, shall we do the top five? I guess we could, yes. Five, Ladies and gentlemen, here four, it is. Four, three, two, one, fire. Counting is wonderful. Counting is marvelous. Counting's the best thing to do. Counting is happiness. Counting is ecstasy. I love to count, don't you? I have to read this. I'm sorry, i got to read this one email. So the word from Scotty J is that he's allegedly in Chicago at some sort of realtors convention. Uh huh. This email says, Rick, 
Do you really think Scotty has a career in real estate that it requires him to attend the convention? Is it perhaps possible that his wife has dragged his sorry ass with her to an event so she won't have to worry about him frittering away their life savings on cheap booze, sleazy strip clubs, and hookers? Him coming home plastered, hurling his cookies on the carpet, and falling asleep on the couch with a lit Virginia Slim? Think about it. There is no convention. Uh, it's just uh, well, that's his, not his brother-in-law and no, his brother and his wife are in business together. Wait, so his brother or his brother-in-law? Is it, no, his brother. So his brother and, and his, his wife. wife are in business as a team? Yes. All right. That's going to end badly, by the way. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Rock 101, KUFO. Heard weeknight 7 to midnight. Court from Court and Fatboy. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you doing? All right. Sorry we're running late. No, I, a, I, I understand completely. All right. So... Uh, We've been doing this, locked in this, just this whole death march of teenage depression songs. Sarah's done it, I've done it, uh, Aaron, tomorrow, Big Jim, and then Friday, Andy, the homeschool kid. Uh, Lisa Woods was yesterday. It was really good. Really? Uh, Wait, I, that doesn't surprise me. She's, she's got good taste in music. Yeah, Lisa really hit a home run with the possible exception of Love Bites by Def Leppard, which was amusing in some sort of horrible sure. way. Right. Uh, so we now have your top five teenage moping songs. These are the top five songs that you would put on. In which you would wallow. Indeed. Uh, and I have I had uh, the same problem that you did in that I, I, I'm of a certain age, and the music of that age was awful. Right. Absolutely, completely awful. However, I remembered that right around 92, near the end of my teen years, things got good. Wait, hold on a second. Did you stack the deck? I didn't. Uh, no, there, there's a reason why. Because in, in 92... My longtime girlfriend broke up with me, and so the the top three songs are songs that I actually actually moped very hard to. All right, in are they going to bring back hard memories? They, yeah, they probably will. Okay. If playing them in succession like this, I may just you know openly weep. All right, so this is okay because I want to make sure you didn't like skip over the embarrassing years no. just for to save face. And that's why I started with the honorable mention that I did. All right, did this. There, there were many honorable benches. There were many possibilities. There was Richard Marks. Uh, there was Don Henley. There was Phil Collins. All of these possibles. But <clears throat> this honorable mention, I think, trumps them all. All right. Chicago. Hard to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. Honorable mention. Yes. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. So it's still your thing. That's okay. I love this song. So wait, now these are all about specific people. Uh, no, this one is just going to be uh, this one's uh, just going to be general moping song. All right. uh, and this covers most of my early teen years. And this is Peter Cetera, I mean, of course. Yeah. It, gets, it gets no more mopey, nor better. Everybody needs a little time away. <laughs> you, you're physically recoiling. Hey, you know, I had Garth Brooks on my list. Who am I to make assessments? I'm going to go to CD Game Exchange today and buy some Chicago. Chicago 17, I recommend it. That was yeah. the first record that I ever bought. Okay. What did a teenage court look like? Um, uh, pimply, uh, <laughs> long, furry mullet. Um... You know, I have a I have a large nose anyhow, but it was a large thinner nose. You hadn't so grown just, into your features. Yeah, no, I was I was horrible. I was ugly, yeah. awful. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the honorable mention. Did you just me. sit alone in a dark room, or did you uh, did you write uh, poetry to yourself? What'd you do? I know I, I I never wrote poetry. This was mostly uh, listening on my uh, my my uh, Walkman while my mom was driving me back and forth from from school to home. Of course, she, she'd be listening to whatever the hell she would she listened to, and I'd, I'd be listening to Chicago. She's listening to Anne Murray, probably. Yeah. These are. Uh, Court's top five teenage moping songs. Tim? Number five, Bonnie Raitt. I can't make you love me. Oh. Now, this is 91. Yeah. Well, you still would have been. He would have been how old? He said he broke up with her in 92. Okay, yeah. all right. So. Uh, I started high school uh, in 88. So, yeah, 92 is when I graduated. When did wow. you go to high school? Uh, 88 to 92. Yeah, what school? Uh, LaSalle High School. Where's that? It's uh, Milwaukee. 
Oh. Yeah. Milwaukee here or Milwaukee there? Milwaukee, Oregon. All right. Boy, I haven't heard this song forever. This came out the same year as uh, When Your Love Comes Back, or Till Your Love Comes Back Around by RTZ. I remember them being played back to back on the radio all the time. Turn down the bed. And I, I think I heard just recently that she came up with the title of the song. Uh, she didn't really come up with it. Right. She, she was watching TRL. Uh, and and somebody had had you know dedicated some right. song to somebody else saying uh, I can't make you love me, uh, and and she was like Man, that's a great title for a song. I don't even really have anything to say about this song. And no offense, I don't mean to trample on anybody's you know music taste or past music taste. It's the song is just sort of there. It's I guess there's a hook at some point. This is like a really there we go. For the life of me, I can't see you listening to this. Really? Not even as a teenager. Yeah, it, it just it lends itself to moping. It's, it, again, it was on my Walkman, so I didn't yeah. really have to worry about being cool. I didn't did, you buy the, did you buy the whole album? Please no. tell me you had the whole album. No. Uh, no. Cause, this, this... Cause single? Yeah, exactly. I had the single. I can't remember what the B-side was, but it was, uh, it was equally awful. This is like some really unbelievably white Chardet song. Wow. All right, then. Court's Top 5 Teenage Moping Songs. Number four, Pink Floyd. Mother. Yes. Yeah. And they'll drop the bomb. Pink Floyd was my, my go-to mope band, of course, uh, through most of my uh, high school career. And this one pr- pretty much uh, covers the whole, uh, you know, girlfriend kind of broke up with me because uh, she thought that my mother was uh, over-controlling and I was a mama's boy. So this just kind of goes along with that. Was that in fact true? Uh, probably. Okay. God, how many... Countless billions of man hours have been spent moping to Pink Floyd by we as, as a civilization. It's, it's so good to mope to. Oh, it is. No, it's. I remember somebody. This is back, I think, maybe momentary lapse of reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that was around the same time that Disintegration came out, maybe. But anyway, but Rolling Stone talked about how The Cure and Pink Floyd were going to be touring at the same time, and they were talking about having a glum off. And that was the thing, like, the big this year's big glum off is yeah. between The Cure and Pink Floyd. Wow. And this, I mean, this has the movie to go along with it. So you can watch the movie totally. and, and mope along. Totally. It's like some sort of a, it's like a depresso picture pages. God, what an album. What, a, what, what, just, what a masterpiece this album is. I mean, a little fragmented in parts. Yeah. Yeah, but. Jesus. It, it overreaches it at certain times, but it, it you know. But, but in a good song, way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really, uh, this is heresy to some people, I really prefer The Wall to Dark Side of the Moon. Dark Side of the Moon is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong. Have you ever heard the Sinead O'Connor version of this? No. Sinead O'Connor did a version of this that's quite good. Really? Yeah. Is it just a waste of time? God, talk about a band that was just so much more than the sum of its parts. And then you get Waters and Gilmore together, and it's yeah. just... And this, you know, essentially killed the band. I mean, they, they had yeah. one partial album left, and that was that was it. Well, you know, at one point, uh, Waters was having so much, uh, so many troubles with, uh, I think, Rick White, uh, Rick Wright, uh, I yeah. think. Yeah. And he actually said, look, either you quit after this record, or I will scrap the whole Wall album right now, and I'll do it as a solo album. <laughs> that was where... And that, and just... Not unlike how uh, The Usual Suspects just says, Brian Singer's film, The Usual Suspects. Yeah. This tells you all you need to know about the dynamic in Pink Floyd at this time. When you open up, uh, you know, the album just says, The Wall by Roger Waters. Yep. 
Which is, like, not true in any sense. No. But that's that guy like, I did it! Me! I am the whole band! Yeah. I mean, Dave brought in some some, uh, pretty sweet solos, but, uh, you know, this was all Roger. All right. Court's top five teenage moping songs, Tim Riley. Number three, the GNR in November Rain. That was on my list, too. Was it really? Uh Yeah. Yes, this... This is where this, the serious uh, girlfriend moping uh, starts kicking in right around uh, you know, 91, 92. I, I spent many, many an hour listening to this song in my, uh, my freshman college room, weeping. So this is the so this is when the you broke up with a long time girlfriend. Yeah. And was this now if I can ask now is this a mutual breakup? She dumped. Oh you no no she fully dumped me. Yeah wow. it was it was uh, I I went away to college. Uh, some other guy kind of started uh, you know sniffing around. Right. And uh, she kept telling me no 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 we're just friends we're just friends we're just friends. That's never true. No it, it ne- never is. Kids if you're listening it's never true. You ever. know Andy the homeschool kid is going to be on a friend. He's this uh, I don't know you know how how old is Andy? Do we know? No, I think he said like 16. Or so he's a yeah, he's a homeschooled teenager who calls uh, the show occasionally, and his uh, his mom was a listener. Now he listens. He's going to come in Friday and do his. Yeah. And so I really think we ought to put together a whole like uh, crap that we wish we had known as you know as teenage boys. Seriously. You know the the, the guy. You know he's just a friend. Not true. Yeah. Never true. Even if she thinks it's true, it's not true no. on that guy's side, and eventually will not be true for the whole situation. I know poor Chris Paddock thought it was okay to show up at that girl's doorstep, like totally creepy, like totally with flowers. Oh, she's Stalking? I, I did yeah. some stalking. Unbidden. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I did all sorts of stalking. Uh, on this girl, and uh, and the, I talked to her after, long after uh, she broke up with me, ended up uh, getting engaged to this guy. Uh, she broke up with him eventually, too. But she told me that the only reason why this guy was after her was, was for the, the sport. He just, just to try and break us up in the first place. Well, okay. People yeah. are bastards. They really are. Well, he's probably dead. Hopefully. Yeah. With any luck. Baby's probably beaten savagely. Yeah. Wow. Boy, you know, talking about stalking, you know what I completely blocked out until just now? There was this uh, there was this girl. Uh, I'll just, I, I will just say this. There was a girl, and at one point, I did, in fact, go by her. This sounds so creepy. I went by her house late at night. Um, I did go by her house late at night, and I, it was either in... It couldn't possibly have been in, like, rose petals. It must have been with something else. Oh, no. Something, but I did spell out, though, like, I love you very much, like, in front of... No. Yeah. That's even worse than Paddock. I think it might have actually been spelled out... Okay, Because it was it. Kennewick. I think it might have actually been spelled out in gravel, like, from her driveway. Well done. <laughs> well done. No, I... I, I Give lurked, her a gift she'll remember this year. I gravel. I lurked in bushes, in the bushes outside this girl's house for, like, hours. Just waiting, waiting for her to come home for, from so one of her date, like non-dates. Spring out of the bushes? Oh, after she, after the guy dropped her off, then uh, yeah, I, I did kind of. I didn't spring out, but I, I kind of ambled out and hey, so what was that all about? You yeah. ambled out of the bushes <laughs> by her house. Why even amble at that point? Why feign casualness? Sure. Well, I mean, you know, you don't you don't want to you don't want to scare. Casually amble out of the bushes. Well, hello. I was just inspecting your your I was inspecting your irrigation system. And by the way, who's that guy? Listen to bound out. That'd just be creepy. Jesus. Yeah, walking slowly out of bushes sure, is a lot that's, less creepy. Indeed. That's suave. God, I don't miss being a teenager at all. No, no, me Being either. a teenager sucked in every way. These are Quartz Top 5 Teenage Moping Songs. Tim Riley? Number two, Pearl Jam and Black. This song has been unplugged. Yes, it has. Uh, this song specifically, uh, because in the last 30 seconds of the song, um, Eddie does this whole thing where uh, he, he kind of cries over and over again, uh, we belong, we belong together. And the song already is, is a great breakup song, right? But uh, just adding that that extra little twist in there. 
doing that film commentary thing of just listening to the yeah. song. Uh, well, we would talk to Lisa uh, Wood had a Pearl Jam song yesterday. We were saying that uh, Pearl Jam has that great mixture of despair and triumph and defiance and pain kind of all mixed together. Yeah. And the thing about Eddie Vedder, is, you know, you and I have talked about this. There's a whole lot with that so-called Seattle scene that I didn't care for right. and that I found disingenuous. There's nothing disingenuous at all about Pearl Jam. I mean, there's you talk about a band that just drips with sincerity yes. from every every cell in their bodies. And you know, it, in as much integrity as they can they can manage to muster. And, sure. and that, that's what is that's what has held them together for you know the what, what the past almost twenty years. That's what sustained them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you you listen to uh, the Pearl Jam. You never have any doubts at all uh, that. You know, the, you know, whoever, you know, usually Eddie, uh, you know, who's singing, you never have any doubts that he felt it or lived it or whatever. Right. I mean, you you never once feel like it's some sort of an obligatory sad song, breakup song, angry song, whatever. Yeah. And, and that's what's so great about this, you know, this we belong together thing at the end. Is it, it sounds like he's just, he's feeling it so much that at the last second he decides to throw it in. Right. Wow. I, uh, when the song first came out, my friends and I, we, would, we, we were unclear about what was it about. And I thought, I thought it was about a girl who was dead for the longest time. I thought that she had died. No, it, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, break, a breakup thing. Because there's that line, which I never noticed. My friend pointed out that line about, I know you'll be a star in somebody else's sky, but yeah. why can't it be mine? Right. And as soon as he goes, no, 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 dude, listen to this line. And that was like when it all came home. I'm like, oh, God, yeah. it's so much worse. <laughs> yep. At least if she's dead, you know you couldn't get her back. Yeah. This way there's false hope. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Right. These are our court's top five teenage moping songs. And at number one is Chris Cornell with Seasons. Hey, look at you with the singles. Th- exactly. And that's th- this movie came out at exactly the right time for me. I, I did needed some serious moping. And this song, it, this is where Steve is moping in, in singles. Right. He's walking along and songs playing in the background. And it just, it just kind of it fit. I, we I, I see if we can Steve. get Pfizer or somebody to, to, to sponsor this whole segment. Because really, there's, I feel a whole lot of Prozac needed in my brain. <laughs> Yeah, Sarah and I uh, share kind of a, a fetish for the movie Singles, you know, which is sort of a you know, movie that underperformed. Yeah. I mean, it didn't do very right. well at all. Do other people feel the same way about Singles that we do? It is a, a cult film, I think, or maybe that's the wrong I, way to put it, but I've kind of wondered that myself because, you know, we have our Midnight Movie series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ghostbusters coming up on Friday, by the way. And um, I, I will, I've always wanted to show Singles on the big screen, but I don't oh think Oh, my any, God, I would love to see See, but I think it would be the three of us. We and should I, do an Instapol. Well, but see, I think it would, I think, uh, like, we would all love it, and I think there's some people who would love it. But my read is, it's not the kind of movie that the audience, like your audience, wants to see while drinking on a Friday night. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is not a Friday night hanging out having some pizza movie. It's just. But I would say this, Singles is sort of a, it's a sleeper of a film. You mm-hmm. know, again, it, you know, it, it, and and actually the relative failure of Singles was why he wrote Jerry Maguire. Right. The Jerry Maguire character is based on Cameron Crowe because he had a huge hit with Say Anything. Yep. And then everybody's like, this is it, Cameron. We, we get great things from you. And he made singles, which kind of bombed. And he's like, nobody returned my calls. Like The studio wouldn't call me back. I couldn't get hired. And so Jerry Maguire is a telling of Cameron Crowe's own career cratering after this movie. But you know what? In subsequent years, the people who, who love singles love singles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Almost I word watch, for word. Yeah, I watch it like once a week. Yeah, it's such a great movie. And I have to say... Um, the song uh, from Singles that 
was a, a song for me and a girl, and then later was the song for me after she dumped me. After she kind of after she wised up and kicked me to the curb. Uh, was Chloe Dancer? Chloe Dancer almost made my list. Oh man, yeah, that's a song. I mean, that is one of the most beautiful things ever made. And this this whole soundtrack, this song, I mean, it's all beautiful. Well done, Court. Thank you. All right. Oh, and Tim is where'd he go? He's, oh, Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen, greatest newsman in the history of the world. Back at four, five, six, and seven. Top of the hour all the way through like us. All right. Uh, Court and Fatboy, Rock 101, KUFO, 7 to midnight tonight, kids. Back after this to wrap it up. Don't go anywhere. Part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson radio program. Uh, let's see. Coming up tomorrow, our guests will include Dorothy Carcassari from the National Enquirer and Big Jim, uh, who will be here to do his uh, his top five mope list. Let's see. You know what I've been have, what I've had sitting here for the longest time? This press release about Nickelback. Nickelback to release new album on November 18th. I think I had this at some point because I was going to make fun of it. Now I don't even care that much. Uh, is this the last call of the day right here? I believe it might be. Hi, you're the last call of the day. Don't suck. How you doing, Rick? What's up, sir? Two things. One, if you can get a hold of F. Matt and get his top five, and also had a listener spot, uh, spotting of a guy driving a beer truck. Uh, what do you mean you had a listener spotting of a guy driving I, a beer truck? No, a, a, a spot of a listener driving a beer truck. And I had my headphones on, and it sounded like stereo, and I took them off and looked over, and there was a, a delivery driver listening to your show. Excellent. Awesome. Wait, when did this happen, sir? This was like... Uh, last week sometime. Excellent. And so, no, so do, you know, are you a delivery driver as well? No. So you were driving along, and there's a guy in a beer truck listening to the show. I was walking down the sidewalk of a coffee shop. And, Excellent. And I heard, I looked over, and and All right. I had, I like, focus in. Oh, yeah, that was your show. Very cool. Thank you, my friend. You bet. All right, there you go. Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Dillon for AM 970, the talker in the newsroom. Tim Riley on the phones. Richard Bristol, the gatekeeper. Dave's in. Webmistress Bridget from upstairs, director of engineering Brian Jones, and uh, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru Susan Donat with me, Reynolds. We want to thank Bob Costantini, Steve Kastenbaum, uh, Court, Al Petrelli, and Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. Like us next. See you all tomorrow at 10 for the recap, 11 for the show. Thanks for listening. What's up, folks? See you all tomorrow. Bye now.